ladies and gentlemen, now it's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Yeah. All right. Woo! What I'm talking about. Oh, my goodness, y'all. Guys, welcome back for another episode of It's Too Late. I am your host, Alan Mosley, joined as always by the number one producer in late night. That's right. It's Dave Wilamowski. Dave! Dave, how are you doing, buddy? Oh, it's got a black screen! <laughs> Hi, guys. Yeah, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm all rested up. I only worked eight hours today. I got to see some daylight, which was nice. That's the first time this week. Oh, nice. I'm, I'm doing good. Yeah. Yeah. How you doing, Al? I, I'm doing pretty good. You, you guys might notice that I'm wearing a headset tonight as opposed to I my traditional notice. earbuds. It's because the earbuds are dead. Oh, you should have charged them before the... The earbuds are I mean, dead because I recorded a guest segment before the show. And the guest segment runs long <laughs> long little little long tonight i hope yeah. you guys were ready for a thanksgiving episode special tonight because yeah. i didn't know I you were getting one until earlier this afternoon but now you're getting one um but dave so happy to have you here at the show on time that's great yeah. buddy i'm happy to be here yeah on time because when I say, here, D Dave, take a look at this, and then it's just a black screen, it's not, mm -hmm. it doesn't have the same punch, yeah, same you punch, know? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm happy that, to know that the new alarm that I got you uh, is working. Uh, ch check out Dave's new alarm. Oh. Oh! Oh man, but hey, you gotta you gotta do what works. Um, but here here we are celebrating uh, the 285th episode of the show, and this is our Thanksgiving episode because tomorrow yeah. is Thanksgiving. Oh my God, are you uh you guys doing anything big for Thanksgiving? Uh, just normal stuff. Going out to my parents, try to get as much of the family together as we can, and have dinner. Oh yeah, watch the game. Yeah. Oh cool. Oh what game i don't even know who's playing hey the cowboys are playing if it's thanksgiving oh. you know the cowboys are playing yeah america's team yeah exactly it's america's team and as a cowboys fan i gotta tell you having the cowboys play every thanksgiving is really kind of like a bittersweet thing because on the one hand mm -hmm. it's like i know i'm gonna be off of work every thanksgiving and i'm oh, gonna yeah. get to watch the cowboys well, the downside is is the cowboys could ruin thanksgiving for me <laughs> you know really like i've i've th there's been some years growing up where i thought oh great thanksgiving's ruined <laughs> you know just just upsetting thanks yeah thanks a lot cowboys um oh man speaking of being upsetting today today is actually oh. a pretty solemn anniversary did you know this today is the 60 year anniversary of the assassination of president john oh, f kennedy uh do we have a picture of jfk yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. Uh, and 60 years on, the government has still refused to release all the documents associated with the assassination. Uh, what do you think, Dave? Who, who do you think killed John F. Kennedy? 
Oh, I don't, um, I don't know if it was the FBI or the CIA. I'm, I, I'm not, I don't really follow it. I know it's one of those two. Oh, but you, you think it's an inside job, though? That's... Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. okay. I, think, I think it's, it's not <laughs> even a conspiracy anymore, isn't it? Okay. I they released all that stuff. No, they haven't released all that stuff. That's what I just said oh. in 15 seconds ago in the monologue. Oh. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. I got a, uh, but you know there are a lot of theories out there about what really went down. You know, some say that it was the mob, and if it was the mob, then he got you know he got whacked. Yeah, that's different. But uh, uh, others say that it was an inside job. Like you know, uh, Lyndon Johnson is he had him killed. It was a coup, and and he took over. Like like the country you live in now is not the same country. It was conquered in a coup. Oh, yeah. Um. Some say it's the deep state, so that's that's you, right? You think like the CIA or the FBI, like they, you know, they they had him killed. Yeah, kind of. Because well, Kennedy, you know, famously was quoted as saying that he was gonna he was gonna get rid of the CIA, and so that was oh, that'll do it. That's that's yeah. why they did it. But you know, kind of where I fall on it these days, because I've 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 looked at all those things, and I, and I and I get why they're attractive, but I've kind of reached a point where I don't really believe that there was any grand conspiracy. Because it's kind of like, whatever whatever happened to just good old-fashioned schizophrenia, you know? Yeah. Like, can't I just lose my goddamn mind and murder the president? No, they, they won't give you credit. Yeah. And now, there's a video of me saying those words on the internet. So. <laughs> <laughs> there's that. Yeah, so, anyway. Uh, speaking of presidential assassinations, oh my god, the results are in, ladies and gentlemen, and the next president... Of Argentina is Austrian economist and self-described libertarian anarcho-capitalist Javier Mille. Wow. I, I know. Do, wow. do we have a picture of Javier Mille? Oh yeah, I got one here. Yeah, that's wow. that's him that's right a there. It's a man. That's a nice chain. Look at that head of hair. Very shiny chest. It is. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I <laughs> you know. You know, but you you think about you think about Mele winning the presidency and and being so open about his his views on libertarianism and and art being an anarcho capitalist and an Austrian and all that stuff, and it's like you know he he I I could see I could see right like I could see it he has a lot in common with libertarians so like he has a mm. he has a smoking hot wife and mm -hmm. and he is like a successful presidential candidate mm -hmm. and. Um, so I guess he actually doesn't have anything in common with libertarians yeah, that, at all. Yeah, that doesn't sound right. Either. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and finally this evening, uh, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, Jim Ursay, is in the news. Now listen to this. In a recent interview touching on his 2014 arrest for driving under the influence, he got a, got a dewey, as we like to call Ooh, him. Yeah. Uh, Ursay said that he was actually sober, but that the police were targeting him. They were targeting him. Take a look at the interview right here. Okay. I am prejudiced against because I'm a rich white billionaire. If I'm just the, the average guy down the block, they're not pulling me in. Of course that. Do you know what it's going to sound like if people hear you say they're prejudiced against a rich white billionaire? I don't billionaire? care what it sounds like. It's the truth. I don't, you know, Andre, I can give a damn what people think or anything sounds or sounds like. The truth is the truth. And I know that. They're prejudiced against oh, him, Dave, because he's a rich white billionaire. That poor persecuted man. You hate to see that. I I mm -hmm. thought we were past this. Mm -hmm. You know? Uh, no it's 2023, Dave, and we still haven't left hate 
in the waste bin of history. No. How dare those prejudiced scops <laughs> stop Jim Ursay for stopping his car in the middle of the road and being unable to walk? <laughs> you know, if you yeah. if you can't have a cocktail of prescription pain medications in your system and enjoy an evening drive, then the American dream is dead. Oh, yeah, this was America. <clears throat> but you know what? Good on him. Bravo for Jim Ursay for standing up and speaking out. And you, you think about this guy. Here's a guy that has a real pick yourself up by the bootstraps kind of story. Let me tell you about Jim Ursay. You know, he started with almost nothing to his name other than some good old-fashioned American grit, uh, a strong work ethic, and his father's $6 billion company. That's all he had. And you know what? Thanks to his leadership, that $6 billion company is worth $4.3 billion today. Nice. Yeah. You know what? If they're going to treat you differently, it's not even worth it. No. It's not even worth it. But I'll tell you what is worth it, which is oh. Fox & Sons Coffee, which you can find at foxandsonscoffee.com. Use promo code ITL and get 18% off orders $25 wow. or more. Shipping is always free over orders of $37.99 at foxandsons.com. Guys, I want you to take a look at this right here. If you look on the back of your... Oh, we're starting you look, with the back. If you look on the back of the sack, that's where the <laughs> sniff hole is, baby. Right? Can, can you... Can we get a, get a oh, shot? Yeah. Get a little reflection right there. There's the... Oh. You just... Yeah. Well, this is... That's it. That's it right there. And that's I've also I've it. also learned too when I'm having a hard day at work I just shake the bag and I just <sighs> get in there. Makes so anyway, that's Fox and Sons Coffee, which you can find foxandsons.com. Use promo code ITL. <clears throat> well, we better get on with it, because, oh, my freaking God, if we got a show yeah. tonight, Dave. Jesus Christ. Scott Morton <laughs> of the Libertarian Institute is finally here tonight. Um, so we're going to be back after the break with the meme of the week and the viewer mail. Ladies and gentlemen, President Javier Mele. Hello, nice to see you. It's been a long Pulling the fortunes out without even breaking the cookie. What do you do with all the cookies? I don't know. I give them to the hobos. But That's nice. You are soon going to change your present line of work. Oh, God damn it. Oh, no. God damn it. That's not for me, right? That's that's yours. You, you opened it. You, you should take this one, I think. <laughs> oh, I'm good. I, you know, you know. All right. Well, anyway. Uh, oh, 
before I forget, let me tell you about tonight's other sponsor, which is the Tennessee Hot Sauce Company, which you can find at tnhotsaucecode.com. Use promo code, it's too late. All one word, it's too late. You get 10% off your entire order. Nice. Hold on. Special announcement. Buckle the Uh-oh. fuck up, ladies and gentlemen. Not only will you right now get an additional an additional sauce will be added to your order if you order during the holiday season. But they also Whoa. have are you sitting the fuck down, Dave? Wow. This is This crazy. is the Tennessee Hot Sauce Company <gasps> beef jerky. It actually actually if you look at it in the bag, I'm pretty sure it's the Tennessee Hot Sauce Company uh tobacco chew. See that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's oh. yeah. the anyway. So it's the yeah. Tennessee Hot Sauce Company beef jerky. I've got the poblano jalapeno right here. And look at this, Dave! Oh my god, Dave, oh, yeah. you have the poblano jalapeno. Yeah, I do. I got got it. Yeah. it. Ooh. And it's 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 shaped different than any other beef jerky I got. It's like these little these yeah. little like logs, like almost like little cat turds. Yeah. But well, I, I mean not, not I don't they I don't, don't know if I would describe they don't taste cat like... terms, Dave, our our sponsor for tonight. No, I mean it's they're just little logs, but I mean they're really tender because it, usually it's it's flat, so it's like really chewy. But these are almost like those those steak things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess yeah, you're right. probably well, right. Well, anyway, uh, it does say on the back that these are seventy calories per serving, so they're not they're oh. not calorie neutral no. the way the sauce the way the sauce is. But maybe if you put the sauce on it, I actually haven't like... had any of this yet. I'm gonna try some. Starving. That is pretty tender. Mm-hmm. Oh, there it is. There's the kick. Yeah. Yeah. But not not overpowering. Like it's mm-hmm. jerky. You really get the taste of the poblano jalapeno. Good job remembering what the product is. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Best if consumed within seven days of opening. Boy, we've all been there. Oh no. Well, best. I'm I'm sure it's not going to hurt me. It's still good. Oh, so it's that, been less than seven days. Yeah. So that's Tennessee Hot Sauce Company. Well, it's still good. <laughs> it's... I'm sorry, Danny. It's delicious. You, I thought you guys had worked this out. I didn't realize y'all were you still guys, beefing. You buy the beef. All right. Buy the beef. Ooh, okay. Ooh, kind of the aftertaste there. It lingers in a pleasant way. I mean, it's not quite as bad as just drinking the hot sauce straight out of the bottle. I mean, who would do that? Uh, hey, Dave. Yes, Alan. What time is it? It's time for Meme of the Week. How I'm living my life lately. No worries. No worries. Huh. No worries either way. It's me. That's <laughs> where I'm at. I, you know, you, I, did you hear I'm changing jobs? I just just now, a few yeah. minutes ago. Yeah, me, yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, but we do have a bonus meme. Check out the bonus meme. Now, I've added milk to the cereal. Tell me, is that milk now a beverage, a broth, or sauce? Answer carefully, Mr. Johnson. Your wife's life depends on it. Oh, 
Well, that obviously we know that. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah, which yeah, Dave. The correct answer is a broth. That's right. The correct answer. Where's the Where's the ding? There you go. It is a broth. Um, and I hope Mr. Johnson gets to see his loved one mm-hmm. again. That's how we could up the ante on our food quizzes on here. If we start oh, kidnapping the guest spouses, abduct their wives. Yeah, yeah, abduct their wives. That's right. <laughs> yeah. There's a little bit more riding on it this week. Yeah, that's hey, that's what she said. But oh. <clears throat> let's uh sit, before we run out of time. <laughs> before we run out of time, let's answer some viewer mail. They don't even fucking know, Dave. They have no idea, Dave. Um, okay, listen, guys. The episode's going to run a little long, so I'm going to talk to Scott for a bit. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, a bit. I mean, you understand, right? Yeah. Okay, all right. Let's just, you know. I do. All right, I'm, I'm looking for the viewer mail, but people keep on posting just dumb shit in the community group, and I can't find it. Could you could y'all please refrain from posting dumb shit the afternoon of the show? <laughs> no wonder we can't get any traffic. You're looking for the episode. I don't know where it is. I just see bullshit. You know? Based? I don't know. Yeah. Y'all know who you are. Alright, anyway. Alright, the first question comes to us from Jesus Christ. This is going everything's going slower now because they know, you know. Alright. Uh Jonathan Carranza who writes, Dear Alan and Dave. What is your favorite Taylor Swift song? Oh. I don't think yeah. I can name one. What? Shake it up. Shake it up. Isn't that? Yeah. Yeah, that was the first big one that I remember. I always liked that. It was fun. Shake it off. Is that it? Shake it off. <laughs> the one that's, that you remember that's really fun, but you off, don't actually yeah. know it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, off. It didn't okay. sound right when I said it the first time. I don't know. Didn't she have... I don't know. Is 1989 like a song or an album? Or something else? It's 85? No, I'm 85. She's not as old as me. Unless she's writing about me, which... If Taylor Swift's writing about me, oh boy. That would be a good album. Yeah, it would be a banger. I'm gonna put that bitch through some trauma. <laughs> it's gonna be a fucking punk album when I'm done with her. <laughs> All right, uh, boy, this is taking a dark turn. Yeah, yeah, so, Jonathan, I don't know any songs by Taylor Swift. Uh, I have a penis. <clears throat> uh, Aaron Kittner writes, Dear Alan and Dave, oh. what is your least favorite holiday? Dave, least oh. favorite holiday. I thought he was going to ask, what's my least favorite Taylor Swift song? Um, least favorite holiday? Uh, Valentine's Day. I feel like that's just a, a Hallmark holiday. They're just trying to get you to buy flowers and cards and stuff. I, I buy I, flowers when I feel it in my heart. Ooh, so yeah. so never is that, <laughs> that's what you're saying. No, I actually I actually did out of nowhere, um, like last week. Yeah, because I saw uh, some flowers and I'm like, Mary would like that color, so I I bought them for her. Okay, all right. Well, we'll we'll check in with Mary to confirm or deny your mm-hmm. your story. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like your explanation could go to a lot of the holidays, though. It could. Yeah. Um. Uh. I would say that my least favorite holiday would pro- probably some minor holiday that some people celebrate and get off work, oh. but other people have to go to fucking work. Like, you know, 
Like I worked Veterans Day because I mean oh. I'm not a baby killer, so I didn't get off for for that day. You know, like like look at me. I didn't I didn't kill people for the regime. I'm not a stormtrooper, so now I don't have to get a day <laughs> off from work. You know. Ah, they know. Yeah, they're fine. <laughs> I, um, <clears throat> Justin Campbell writes, Dear Alan and Dave, when Dave's tardiness gets him fired, can I be the new number one late night producer? Oh. Oh, Dave, Justin's gunning for your job. Uh-oh. Yeah. Please, no. See, you say that, but I think it would upset you if someone else had the label of number one producer in late night. You'd say, well, they're not, they're not the number one producer. I'd, I'd protest. I might protest it. Okay. Well. From over there. You and Justin can. You've got a lot of beef <laughs> with a lot of the people that follow the show, I've noticed. I don't know. There's Danny and there's Justin. Such a nice guy. Yeah, well, I, I used to think that, but apparently you don't get along. I don't know. Maybe I'm not. <clears throat> Uh, Laudirio writes, Dear Alan and Dave, can I be thankful for what I have and still annoy my family on Thanksgiving? <clears throat> well, Lyle, oh, actually, yeah. Dave and I were going to do a whole bit called Thanksgiving Do's and Don'ts. And we mm -hmm. cut it because there's just, there's just, you know, y'all don't, don't even have any idea. <laughs> Dave knows. Dave I know. Knows. Yeah, y'all don't know. I was afraid uh, you weren't going to make it. Yeah, no, well, yeah, I actually show up to my obligations, Dave. Um, I'm not uh, okay. I, that's that's going to be the last one. That was it. I t I told okay. I told everyone last week that I was going to be mad until three forty five Tuesday afternoon, and mm -hmm. I'm over it now. Okay. Yeah, I saw it on the Skype. You said I'm not mad anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, right below H A T E. Yeah. Said, uh, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> right. Unhinged. Yeah. All right. Uh, Gary Doxer writes, Dear Alan and Dave, which are the superior cranberries? The ones who are part of the musical group going by that name or the ones that people eat at Thanksgiving dinner? Well, I, I don't imagine mm. you would eat the band. That'd be weird. Yeah. Gary you might can only it. really do that once. He's then they go bad. Yeah. Cannibal. Actually, that was going to be one of the that was going to be one of the do's and don'ts in the Thanksgiving bit we were going to do because you were you were going to say or you were going to say don't forget the cranberry sauce that's in the refrigerator mm -hmm. ah and then I was going to say do remember to throw it in the trash because no, nobody wants that shit no a little no, bit no you, you, you just you just think that no one does it's sitting on a dish in the refrigerator right now. <laughs> And that's and that's where it'll remain until it goes into the trash. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, Josh Wright writes, "Dear Alan and Dave, uh, how many deviled eggs? It's dressed eggs, Josh. What the fuck? Uh could you eat in one sitting if there was no competition for the eggs, Dave? How many eggs. of those little bastards could you eat in one sitting? All right. So if we're we're not eating anything else, we're just sitting down with a the yeah. tray." Yeah, world's your oyster. Do whatever you want. Okay, I'm I'm trying to be realistic about this. Okay, this is realistic, y'all. Whole eggs. I, I'd say ten. Ten, ten to twelve. I think I could get done because I could if I eat five whole eggs. That's a lot. Yeah, I'll go with I'll go with eleven. Yeah. Mm. 
See, this is one of those things where you you your are your eyes bigger than your stomach, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you you're you're gonna you're gonna say you can throw a thirty five yard out route, but then you and then you <laughs> seven hop it fourteen yards downfield, and then you complain, oh, it was wet, and you know. All this and then my sh- shoulders out of joint for the rest of the week. Yeah, got a workman's comp. I don't know if that's gonna cover that, but <laughs> I hope it did at your work. It doesn't. It doesn't. It, it's too late. That's all I'm gonna tell you. No. <clears throat> I'm gonna. I'll probably say. Uh, uh, I, I would probably shoot for double digits. If I hit ten, then I would need some time to mm-hmm. reflect. You know, uh, Mary Lynn Willemowski writes, "Dear Alan and Dave, growing up, did you and others in your home sleep with the bedroom doors open or closed? How about now?" No. Oh. <laughs> I think Mary wants to know how easy or mm-hmm. difficult it'll be to. She's casing the house. That's what she's doing. Sneak in and out, move around. Yeah. Dig it. Yeah. All right. Doors open or closed? What do you think? Uh, all right. So so I grew up in a closed door yeah. household. Okay. But now I'm in an, a open door household that I can't do anything about. Oh. 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 <laughs> How the turns tabled, Mary. Uh, mm-hmm. Damn. You know, I was actually going to say uh, I grew up with them at first being open and then closed and then they stayed closed for a long time. And now, now I actually have it open again and I'm not really sure why. Hmm. I think it's cause I just, I'm just, you know, hat man always gets in eventually. Anyway. That's a, yeah. He's, he's going to open it anyways. Yeah. I just, I just leave it open for him. Yeah. I'd rather not wake up to that. Creep. Yeah, exactly. I, I just, <laughs> I just say, Hey Greg. And you know, um, Ryan Seifert writes, Dear Alan and Dave, if a tranny tricked you into making out with them, would you punch them in the face? Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> Ryan, you're projecting. Like, <laughs> how many times has this happened? Was this right or wrong? Yeah. How many times has this happened, Ryan? You know? So, I don't think I could be tricked because it's it's oh, a man. Get that radar. Yeah. It's It's a man. I mean, I don't know. Mike Cernovic was tricked, and then he just fucked a dude in like Thailand or something. Oh, did you know that? No. Yeah, he he fucked a dude. Wow. Yeah. What can you? I you know? didn't. Yeah, I didn't know. <clears throat> was... Yeah, he didn't punch it in the face. He just fucked it. That was that was also going to be in the uh, Thanksgiving do's and don'ts bit. It was going to be do catch mm-hmm. up with your cousins at Thanksgiving. Don't mm-hmm. fuck them. Talking to you, that's Alabama. Help- yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. Well, remember I sent you that tweet by that one lady who said she gets laid every Thanksgiving. Remember that? <laughs> there's some there's some weird people out there. All right. There Andrew Avery writes, Dear Alan and Dave, if you were an eye doctor in Alaska, would you be an optical illusion? What does that even mean? We, we talk, no, you, well, you don't understand it because Andrew won't, he, Andy won't listen to me when I tell him if you're going to send in puns where they have to be able to see the word, then it doesn't work. Oh, yeah, yeah. In this medium. Like, I'm not going to send everyone the pun. So that they can read it for themselves. Like Aleutian, like A-L-E-U. Aleutian. Just, Dave, you'll have time to Google it in the next segment. Okay. 
Uh, Nick White writes, Dear Alan and Dave, what's your favorite soda? Dave, favorite soda? Um, uh, Dave, we're running out of time. Uh, favorite Dr. Soda. Pepper. Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper's disgusting. Uh, but Scott Horton loves Dr. Pepper. See? You should, yeah, you should tell him that. Great minds. Uh, God, I don't know. It, I mean, I, I like different ones moderately okay. Like Meliello's okay sometimes. Sundrop. There you go. Sundrop. Other states don't get it. This is Sundrop country. Uh, Celeste Annis writes, Dear Alan and Dave, what is an unforgettable piece of knowledge that was once useful to you and is no longer useful to you or anyone else? Try that in a Sundrop town. Celeste is asking like some really deep esoteric questions. Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe like an old password to something would be very important to me, but wouldn't be important to anyone. Oh, anymore. As long as you're not you're not using it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. See, I I did the thing you're not supposed to. I my my first password was just a family pet, and then and like, it was my birthday. Every account. <laughs> and then, and and people say that that's bad because you can guess that. But I'm like, how would they guess it though? Because the family pet was like died when I was six, and mm. like I got my first email address when I was like 14, and I used that oh. old dead pet and my birth date. So it's like you're not gonna know, you're not gonna know his name. Are you kidding me? That'd be crazy. Yeah, right now. Watch I know. I know what Dave's doing in the monitor. He's pulling up. He's pulling up a browser so he can just start. Trying to log in. <laughs> I'm going to get paid one way or another. God damn it. Uh, all right. And finally, no, we already did that one. Favorite Taylor Swift song. Why is it on there again? What the fuck? Well, Was, is this supposed to be I'm circling back to see if I remember a Taylor Swift song? Um, maybe two people ask the same question. No, it's Jonathan. Oh. Um, help me out here. What's what's. I don't know. Didn't she didn't she do one about keying a car because. Some guy fucked her mom or something. I don't know. Is that is that one? Probably, but uh, okay. It, it doesn't it, ring a bell. Whatever song of hers is closest to that is my favorite one. I'll let you guys decide. There's that one where she's like, "I am the problem" or something. Well, that's boy, ain't that the most truthful thing she's ever fucking said? <laughs> All right, uh, guys, we're going to be back after the break with Scott Horton of the Libertarian Institute to talk about Star Wars. Star Wars. Right after this commercial break. Your ad could be playing right now, reaching thousands of potential customers. Sadly, it's not, but it could be. Find out how to be an advertised sponsor for It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Email us at info at alanmosley.tv. to the show everybody our guest this evening is the director of the libertarian institute as well as editorial director of antiwar.com he's also the host of a radio show that i believe has an interview for every million dollars george lucas has ever made <laughs> pretty damn close to an accurate statement scott horton welcome back to the show thank you alan happy to be here with you 
Well, we're happy to have you. This is our Thanksgiving episode, after all. And so I, I told everybody we're going to have a huge guest for Thanksgiving. I didn't know who that that guest was going to be, but I told everybody that turned out yeah. to be Scott Horton. I'll be um, as big as I can. All right. Well, there you go. So, as we had discussed previously, I'm I'm over Israel Palestine. You know, look, I, I, I the, the the thing is, is that with a lot of these like major uh, political, social, cultural events, it's like people have developed their opinions at this point. Yeah. I have nothing to add to the conversation. So you and I are going to talk about what's really important at the holidays, and that's Star Wars. Sounds good to me. I'm not over Israel Palestine, but I could use a break. Okay, I, I figured I figured you cut. You probably could. Yeah. All man. right. So we're we're gonna we're gonna try to do this sort of like chronologically from the order of release, just so that you kind of have an idea where my brain is. Hey, so, whatever you say, man. You drive right. off the shotgun. All right. So we'll we'll start with the original trilogy, the original so original <laughs> Star Wars, Star Wars: A New Hope. Now. Scott, I'm I'm not I'm not going to try to try to pin you down and tell everybody what age you are on the show, but I'm 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 38. Uh, you know the original Star Wars, like I think Return of the Jedi had just come out when I was born, so I was a young kid. The You're original 83? trilogy, uh, the original trilogy had already been, you know, had already had already been what, out for some years. What year were you born, Alan? 85. Okay, yeah. So Jedi came out in 83. Okay, yeah. There you go. Um, but but we'll start with the with the original trilogy, Star Wars: A New Hope. So how on a scale of one to ten, how big of a Star Wars fan were you at the time? Okay, so I was born in '76. I'm 47 years old right now, um, and so my first Star Wars movie was Empire. I saw it when I was three, almost four, when it first came out in the theater, and I remember being terrified of the Tauntaun. There's one scene of the Tauntaun where he almost breaks the fourth wall and sort of growls right into the camera, and I remember thinking like, "Oh my god!" And then I think I fell asleep during Dagobah, and I woke up again during the sword fight on Bespin. Is my my memory of Empire, and I had been introduced to Star Wars before that by my father's friends' sons, and they were older teenagers, mm -hmm. and they had the full size GI Joe sized, um, what nine inch or ten inch uh, action figure doll guys of, I'm gonna say it was Luke, Han, Chewie, and Darth Vader, and their mother just said. Give those to him. And they were like, what? And she said, you heard me. <laughs> I still remember this. I was three years old. And I, I'm like, what is this? And they explained to me, this is Luke Skywalker on Han Solo, and they're the heroes of Star Wars. And that was the first I ever had been introduced to the concept of Star Wars. And, it, and as, a, as a little boy, you know, Luke, is, Luke and Han are the perfect age, right? They're young men. It's, mm -hmm. the, it's sure. the perfect kind of ideal about like, so this is what it's like when you become a big person is, is something like this, you know, kind of thing. So they're perfect heroes for little boys, you know, and for me, certainly. And then HBO and VCRs were new then. And so I think it was very shortly after. Um, I You know, we got a VCR somewhere around then, and it, it must have been somewhere shortly after that, that I think Star Wars came back to the theater and you could get, and we did have the awesome, it would be a million dollar collector's item. Now I bet was the book that came 
that you got when you went to see Star Wars because that was how it was then. They would it would they would re-release it. It would come in the summertime and they would redo it every couple of years or something like that. So I think I saw I remember seeing Star Wars four in the theater after Empire, uh, but pretty soon after it. And then they played it on HBO and we taped it off of HBO. And then when I was four and five and six, we watched episode four every day. Every day. I came home from kindergarten. And we watched like the first, there was a kid in the neighborhood whose mom was a teacher. So he would come to our house after school for a little while until she would come and get him. And so we would watch like the first, like 45 minutes or hour of Star Wars every day. And we would always rewind it and start over at the beginning. I don't know. Um, and we, we watched it every single day. It was, all, it was the only thing I cared about is all the toys. You know, my when I was five for Christmas, I got a land speeder and. I, I think I may have gotten the Falcon at my my five-year-old Christmas. I got the Falcon. And I just, that was the only thing I cared about until I was, I guess, when I was like nine or ten, I played with G.I. Joe and Transformers. I was in Transformers a bit there when I was like nine, ten. But I think I was, essentially, it was all Star Wars. So the only question was, are we playing with the men or are we the men ourselves? You know, cosplay, as they would say now. And we had the toy lightsabers. I had a best friend down the street who was also a total Star Wars nut like me, my exact same age, uh, you know, like two weeks younger than me. Um, and and there, it was the only thing in the world that I cared about at all until well, I, really until I started skateboarding when I turned 11. Well, one of the seven, one of the conversations we had actually not that long ago just uh, just spur of the moment talking about just films and, and TV shows in general was you can the obviously if, if something is just culturally iconic or just a great story or whatever or it comes at the right time and it, and it has that staying power you know we were talking about things that have staying power and yeah. and one of the conversations came up is that well like the effects like obviously if you look back at like the original Star Wars today compared to brand new stuff you know obviously they didn't have multi-billion dollar CGI and stuff back then but they did with with what they had they did an amazing job like all oh. the all the miniatures and the models and the practical effects and stuff um because yeah. one, one of the movies that I brought up was the original Jurassic Park which I think was like 92 or 93 that the in my opinion the original Jurassic Park looks better today than like the brand new Jurassic World movies do because they did more practical effects and not just wall to wall CGI that's almost like it, it kind of takes you out of it because you know it's not real. So if if that yeah. makes sense, it's sure. like you, you it's like you know Star Wars isn't real, and you look like I said you look back at it now, and it may look a little bit dated, but you you're still hanging on it. And, yeah, and, and, and then look, and like I, like I said, I was just gonna say like you've seen the specials where you see like the zoomed out of them in front of the screen with like the big star destroyers and X wings and stuff, and you're like, oh my god, I wish I had those things in my house. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes, especially like, in fact, I saw they auctioned off a model, one of the original models of the X-Wings from episode four for whatever price. And it was fantastic looking, you know, really incredible. But I should say, because you did ask, not you asked a few different things there about episode four. Um, and I talked about sort of my childhood experience with it there. But, um, you know, I guess what I want to say here was, I, I went a long time without watching. I mean, I watched it a million times in my life. I, who knows how many times, more times than anybody watching this. I've seen it. Um, 
but then, you know, whatever, I got other interests and I have gone at times for even a few years in a row without watching it. And fairly recently, one of the recent times I watched it going back a few years, I guess it had been a few years since I had seen it. And, um, and so I was able to sort of watch it through fresh eyes. I don't know if maybe I was showing it to someone who hadn't seen it before or something. Sure. Yeah. And I got to kind of like vicariously sort of experience it new. I think it was mostly it was just because I hadn't seen it in so long. And so I was really able to take a kind of fresh appraisal of it. And I just love it. It's just perfect. This mm -hmm. shouldn't work. Like it could be, you could have this movie just be, I don't know, Ice Pirates or whatever. And it was fun in the 80s and who cares kind of deal. But like. The way that you mix up a fairy princess and a wizard and a farm boy with spaceships and and laser guns. And then what do you how do you solve the problem of the sword? You need the hero to have a sword. No problem. It's a lightsaber. It's a future and oh by in the way, this takes place billions of years ago. Uh, billions of light years from here, right? In a galaxy. Mm -hmm you can't even see from here, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so it's, it's a, a fairy tale in space, a, a mashup of a fairy tale and science fiction that like does not have to work, but it totally works. It totally works. And I believe in Obi-Wan Kenobi, dude. And I care about him and I know that he cares about me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm so glad you, I'm so glad you brought that up because that was exactly what it just jumped in my mind was, is another way that you can tell that a classic film is great is when you can't really imagine anyone else in the movie. Like yeah. Alec Guinness is Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he, and so you have like this older English, like a supremely talented and like classically trained actor who jumps into this like spaghetti Western sci-fi tale. And and I've seen the old interviews of Alec Guinness, which it's, it's one of those things where it's like when things are exactly the way you think they are in your head, it's like pleasing. Like Alec Guinness in real life is totally like what you would think Alec Guinness would be like. That's how he is. And and I've seen him do interviews where he t where people had asked him like look look at look at your body of work in some of these in, in some of these drama and period pieces you were in how did you get involved with Star Wars and he said his answer was is that his management or whatever had sent him the script and said oh you're not going to do this movie but it's it's kind of it's kind of floating around town you know they're they're thinking about taking on this new science fiction thing I don't know if you'd want to be a part of it but you know read it and he said I was reading it. And I thought, well, this is silly. But then after I got into reading it, all of a sudden I was turning the page because I wanted to see, I wanted to see what was going to happen next to these people. And then, you know, all of a sudden, boom, I've read the whole script and I'm thinking, yeah. wow, there's, there's something here. There's, it's not silly. There's, this is actually really serious. You just don't get it is what he was saying to right. his agent and manager. And that's how he ended up being Obi-Wan Kenobi. Well, and look, and, and think about, you know, Han, Luke, and Leia in there, they're just perfect. R2 and 3PO are perfect. You know, I read a thing that said that originally R2, and I guess I've read this script too, where R2 like talked back to C3PO all the time. And it was decided late, I think even maybe after the filming, that you know what we should do? We should take out all of R2D2's lines and give him baby beeps and make him sound like a sweetheart, but we don't even understand what he's saying. And then they came up with the whole thing of R2-D2's language. And now C-3PO's mad at him for no reason all the time, which makes it funnier, right? Where like R2 at, at worst is like, come on, leave me alone or something. You know what I mean? And yeah. C-3PO is, and, and especially 
I know that there are people who like, you know, there's too much 3PO here and there, but it's really important to have 3PO in there as that kind of comic relief, uh, you know, to lighten up on everything and, and what have you. But I mean, the real magic to it all, and I think that this comes up later in the prequels as a problem, is that to Lucas, and he's talked about this explicitly, right, that his filmmaking is all very plot driven. He thinks all these things should be silent movies or they ought to be able to be silent movies. And that the actors, look, you just stand there and look concerned for a minute and then you look heroic for a minute. And then, like, he, right, he doesn't want to direct a, a lot out of them. He just needs them to hold their place while he gets this shot. Um, and, he, and he doesn't, I think he didn't even understand himself, even though he must have had a great relationship with them. I think he didn't understand. We love Han, Luke, and Leia. Mm-hmm. And it really matters who they are and what they're going through and and all of that, where if you change the actors out, we don't care. You see the screen test where it's Kurt Russell and mm-hmm. like, whatever, man, he kills in Big Trouble in Little China. But if Kurt Russell is Han Solo or Luke Skywalker, it doesn't work, man. It doesn't. There's, these three were just, you know, whatever. I don't know. There's no counterfactual. But the way that they work together and, you know, like all the wokest stuff now and maybe Lucas was being a bit woke back then with Carrie Fisher. But like the reality is like she didn't need to be a feminist icon. She's just a badass lady. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's like the the scene in Blues Brothers where she's like shooting at him with an M16 and all of that. She's like (laughs) she's a tough guy, that Carrie Fisher. And so when she tells Han Solo, like, look, just from now on, do as I tell you. It's believable that she would say that. It's believable this, okay, she's a pretty young woman to be a senator in the Galactic Senate, but if you say so, I guess I could buy it because she is talking straight back to Darth Vader right to his face like she really means it. And it's, I think she said, Lucas told her, you're not a damsel in distress, you're a distressed damsel. Got it? Now go out there and do that. And and she did, and it worked. You know what I mean? It's perfect. Yeah. Well, I... But that's just what a coincidence or whatever just sure. happened that him and his casting director just happened to nail it that week instead of making bad choices. It really worked well for who they are, for what they look like, for how they talk. I mean, Harrison Ford's kind of ease and sarcasm and like, of course, this guy's flown from one side of the galaxy to the other in this thing. You don't question that for a moment. You know what I mean? It works. Yeah. So. Well- well, that's the thing, because right. because we'll we'll kind of move on to Empire sure. Strikes Back. But I, I wanted to finish with that point that you know of the original three movies, all of them are basically right at about two hours runtime, and and it's in in hindsight you're like, wow, I'm really invested in these characters and in this galaxy and the politics and the factions and the different alien races. Like I'm so invested in all of their history and what's going to happen next, and I've only known them for like an hour and a half. Right. Yeah, totally right. And look, when I was a kid, just a couple of throwaway lines. I've heard others say this since then, but this is really like the story of my life. A couple of throwaway lines about the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, I was a Jedi Knight in the Clone Wars back then. And somehow that was what led to this before the dark times, before the Empire. And quite frankly, like this has a lot to do with my politics, of course, my entire life long that Republic good, empire bad. Simple as that. You heard Kenobi say it. They fought for the old Republic. They did everything they could to save it. And then it was replaced by evil, the empire. And, and, and he like looks all wistful, like, oh man, we blew it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Kind of thing there. And so, and then in that same one, and I, this is a true story too. 
I remember asking my mom, uh, what's a Senate? And she gave me, what would you tell a six-year-old, right? Like this is what she said, something about like, well, you kind of take uh, representatives, you, you, the, the, the people choose like the best guy from the neighborhood to go. They all go and sit in what's called the Congress. And those are the people who write the laws, right? The rules mm-hmm. that the society lives by and stuff, right? And that's the Senate. It's like a, the Congress, you know, that we have in, in Washington, D.C. here. Oh, OK, mom. So then what does it mean that the emperor has just dissolved the Senate permanently? Ah, well, right. There's a war on and he's using it as an excuse. He's the emperor and he's creating what's called a dictatorship. Now he can do whatever he wants and he has Darth Vader to kill anyone who stands in his way. And so he doesn't have to listen to the Senate anymore. He'll make the law himself. And of course, it'll be evil, horrible, wrong law and take everyone's freedom away. That's what it means when you lose your democracy to a dictatorship, you lose your freedom, mm-hmm. which is what the whole story's about. Yeah. You know, it's about a lot of things, but it's about that. And Lucas, of course, has said that over and over again, that, look, the world is lousy with dictatorships. He could have made a movie about a space dictatorship. He wanted to make a movie about a democracy that became a dictatorship, which doesn't always happen. Right. Like that's a sad case in Rome or in Germany or in America where yeah. we give up our republic to these madmen and and you know, he's explicitly said in interviews over and over again the empire the republic and the empire in Star Wars is America it's not Russia people thought it was of the Soviet Union no man it was about the United States and that's why you know skipping ahead that's why in Jedi, it's the primitives who destroy the empire in, you know, they made them like Indians. The Ewoks were little bears, but they were like American Indians, but they were in a sense, like standing in for the victory they never had. Um, but in this case, they were more an analog, as Lucas has said explicitly to the Vietnamese, that they were these peasants in pajamas and flip flops fighting against the vast technological empire. So that's the story of Star Wars. It's not just fun and X-Wing fighters. It's that it's a lesson for us. And it's not just about friendship and and loyalty and, and all of that great stuff, too. Um, and adventure and 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 all of that. Um, it's a it's and, and Luke's growing to be a man and whatever. But it's about the rise of the empire, the giving up of a free society and it in in the name of fear and the name of war and turning into a dictatorship and that's what all episodes one through six are about you know all the way through well we'll we'll use that as a segue to move on from new hope to empire strikes back is that the the line that i think and it it actually comes from the same part of the movie as you referenced ironically enough the 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 lines that stick out the most to me is is it's one of these things that you get it more with hindsight when you're looking back and you're listening to old, old old ben kenobi sitting in the workshop talking about his friend Anakin who had you believe has died and that he was murdered by this Darth Vader and you see the look on his face that the actor Alec Guinness is really portraying like PTSD like he's talking about trauma that he's lived through but he's also an old man who's like a space wizard so you realize wow this guy must be really badass if he lived to be an old man in this very dangerous world that he's Mm -hmm. in 
But then they also, they kind of, George Lucas kind of does like the Gandalf thing, right? Where then you see old Ben die and you're like, holy shit. Well, if Gandalf can fall to the Balrog, then all these guys have no hope in the world, right? Because I thought that that was right. just the most powerful guy who ever lived. Um, right. and, but then you, you, you jump forward to Empire Strikes Back. And I, and I want to ask you really quickly. I think a lot of, I won't, I, I, I don't know if I'm willing to say most, but I guess I probably would. I think most people who are Star Wars fans tend to believe that Empire Strikes Back is the best movie. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. And okay. I, now that I think about it, I guess I got my age wrong. Wait, I was 77, 78, 79, 81. So, yeah, I was four and turned five in okay. 80 when Empire came out. I wasn't three. I was four. So I used to think I was four, and then somehow I talked myself into thinking, no, I was three. I was almost four. But no, I was right the first time. I was wrong when I told you three. I was four years old, almost five, when Empire came out, and I saw it. And yes, to this, yes, I do find it to be the most satisfying of them all. You know, I think a lot of it, I mean, it's the directing of the, of um, good old what's-his-name there that uh, I can picture his silly face. Fun guy. Um, for God's sake, Alan, help me. Uh, Irvin Kirshner. Kirshner, yes, yeah. thank you. Um. It's Kirshner and his cinematographer, whoever, that went in there and they made that thing look so good. I mean, the fight on Bespin and the, the walkers and the asteroids and just the, the as you talked about before, the just total immersion in this story. I believe in Chewbacca. I don't, you know, like we talked about the droids. It's not just Carrie Fisher and, and, um, and Harrison Ford, like, you know, it. I, I don't think for a moment, oh, that's an Englishman in a suit. It is not either, dude. That's Chewbacca. He's Han Solo's loyal friend and co-pilot. Like, well, I'm, this is very real and, and very important what happens to all these people in the thing. And I think um, uh, the way the movie is written, and it's Leah Brackett is the one who wrote the story. Lucas was like, hey, would you write chapter two for me, lady? And she did and then died of cancer. I think they even maybe added her name belatedly to the credits later. They're there now. That might not be right. That might not be right. I, oh, I, I do. I do remember that whole kind of controversy right there where we're yeah, he, some yeah. kind of short shrift. But you know what? In fact, I should have said this at the very beginning, Alan. This is so important for your audience. If people don't know this, it's a tragedy if they don't. You go to the Pirate Bay and you get Star Wars despecialized additions mm -hmm. yep because and i have to tell you and i am the boss of this okay like i am on a lot of things sorry but it is what it is there are no improvements in the special editions none they don't fix anything that's actually broken and needs fixing like there's a weird jump cut when luke lights up his lightsaber they don't fix that or when han and leia are talking and it's supposed to be hyperspace out the window but it's not they don't fix that but they fix all kinds of stuff that doesn't need fixing. Putting Jabba the Hutt in there when the Greedo scene already took care of that. And now you got to make Han step on his tail and it doesn't make sense. And now for some reason, the door, the door at Jabba's palace is a million miles wide when it doesn't make sense. When you think about how wide that passageway is once they go inside and like, it's just, they just add, they tinker with all these things. They, they, it made sense that they wanted to put, Ian McDermott as the emperor in the scene in Empire Strikes Back when clearly they had changed the character of the emperor so much from the hologram in Empire to who he was in, in Jedi. 
But then they changed all his lines. And by changing his lines, they completely screw it up. It doesn't work anymore. And I forgot exactly what it was, but it, it ruins it the way they should have just left it exactly the same, only just fix the damn hologram. Well, right? I'm, I'm glad and, that you brought that up sure. because just but wait. Just, so go to yeah. look, you go to the Pirate Bay. I mean, and you don't even need a VPN for this because nobody cares about this. OK, like if you're going to get the latest stuff off the Pirate Bay, you need a VPN or they'll get you. But which I don't know what they'll do to you. But anyway. But for, for Star Wars Despecialized, nobody cares. So you could go to any one of six different versions of the Pirate Bay and type in Star Wars Despecialized and get Empire uh, uh, Star Wars for uh, New Hope, um, Empire and Jedi without any of the special edition corrections in their pure form, which is 100% better. There's no improvements. I mean, everything that they do, the the, the song and dance sequence and Jedi, yeah, all of yeah. this crap, you don't need any of that stuff, man. Yeah, it, they, they definitely, it must have been that like they had some kind of a quota of we need to have X number of minutes of new material to put on the, the poster or whatever. I will say... I, I think I, there were things that always bothered Lucas, but they were the wrong things. Sure, right? yeah. Like, there's a scene in Star Wars 4 where Tarkin and Vader are talking and vader says to tarkin they've just made the jump into hyperspace and tarkin goes well i'm taking an awful risk vader this had better work next scene han and leia in the cockpit of the falcon leia's in the pilot seat it's clearly on automatic pilot nobody's driving because they just made the jump into hyperspace and they have this whole talk about you know he's like flirting with her and oh your friend is quite a mercenary and blah 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 that whole scene well, it's supposed to be light speed out the window, and it's not. That would have been yeah. like the first thing you fix, right? Or like on the monitor at the end of Star Wars 4, they show the laser um, kind of, um, you know, crater thing in the Death Star. They show it in the middle of the trench, in the middle of the Death Star, right? Well, you'd want to fix that graphic. Nope, didn't fix that. But they fixed a bunch of crap you didn't need, like putting Jabba the Hutt in there and this whole superfluous scene that completely takes you out of the movie where... Han Solo's stepping on Jabba the Hutt's tail and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's not the same movie at all. You can't believe in that crap. I just told you I believe in Chewbacca. I do not believe in Han Solo stepping on Jabba the Hutt's tail that they added in 1997 and then changed in 2005 and then blah, 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 blah like that. Forget all that, man. You don't yeah. need that. And in fact, there are, I'm sure there are people who watch Star Wars who are like, eh, I guess it's okay because... They watch the special edition, the latest Blu-ray version that's been changed seven times now. Fuck all that. Oh, sorry. Forget all that, man. <laughs> Just go and get the despecialized. Sorry. Now I'll be quiet. No, no, you're fine. By the way, it's it's perfectly okay for you to swear on the show. I was oh, just telling you what, what Kyle had said the other day, that it's it was the death threats that scared him, not the cursing. Oh, Just... the death threats. Yeah, I'm not but sure. But what... we haven't even gotten to that point yet. Finished. We'll get there. All right. Okay. All right. So, so anyway, you so know, Empire. so... Yeah, so Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, oh my yeah. god, we're like we're like going to be so over on time. That's okay. Um okay. so like, so Empire Strikes Back. Obviously the, the you've got, I got the 20 minutes, buddy. Okay. Oh, well, no, you know what? No, no, no. I'll have uh, it, it's Kyle. He'll forgive me. I'll have Connor tell him. All right. Well, okay. Well, Kyle replaced you. So tell Kyle that Connor's going to replace you, go. you. There you go. Yeah. All right. So Empire Strikes Back. Uh I mean, obviously, you know, the 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 big finale is 
uh, you know, Darth Vader telling Luke that he's his father, but not just that, but just the whole sequence of them fighting where mm-hmm. you've got, oh, you've yeah. got all the training. Luke is with Yoda. He's, he's becoming, he's trying to realize sort of the dream that you learned about from the first film via Obi-Wan. And then he goes and fights Vader and what's, what happens? He gets his ass handed to him. And that right off the bat is a different kind of movie, right? Because we're we're not this is not going to be one of these Mary Sue types where he just becomes overpowered and kills everybody. It, this is going to be a true hero's journey where Luke fucked up and now he's going to yeah. suffer the consequences. And that's right. something, by the way, that you just don't see in movies at all anymore. Yeah, that was a huge deal. By the way, so I'm off the hook for I, I can stay. Okay, all right, good. Okay, good. So yes, no, that's huge. And in fact, you know, it's funny. I was just remembering this. In preschool, there was a kid that had the Empire Strikes Back coloring book. And in his version, Luke's hand is cut off. Ooh. And I had the Empire Strikes Back coloring book. And in mine, he still got his hand. And I'm like, well, I've seen the movie. I know he gets his hand cut off. But they actually changed that. I, somewhere I read about that. Now they, they changed that because people were concerned that, like, oh, it was just too much having his hand cut off in the, the pop-up book version of the story. <laughs> That's how OG I am, dude. I had the... Or maybe maybe it was the other way around. Maybe I had the no hand version and the kid at preschool had the hand version. And then we got a bit in a big argument about it. I was only three, Alan. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, it's sure. Easy. No, I understand. It's, it was 1979 or 80. No, it was, I don't know when the hell it was. And and, and by the way, since we haven't so even it gotten must have been before I saw the movie then. Yeah. It, well, because I guess I could have been four. No, I would have been four then still. Kindergarten, I was five. Okay. So that makes sense. Now, I was still four in preschool and arguing about Empire Strikes Back coloring books. But anyway, yes, it is a big deal that Luke gets totally beat down and the movie ends with, you know, he's still alive. He's got his most of his friends, but uh, he's terribly wounded. As uh, Lucas points out, symbolically, he's completely cut off from his father now. He knows it's his father, but he loses his sword and loses his hand with it. And so now he's like kind of alone in the world and, oh, my God, what's going to happen kind of a thing. And I know, in fact, when the movie came out, a lot of people who are just like kind of regular moviegoers were like, well, geez, that kind of was a lame ending. I wanted a a big battle. Mm -hmm. I was like, dude, they gave you the big battle at the beginning at Hoth and then the asteroid belt. And so, you know, sorry, but. That's the story, man. It's got to have that. Otherwise, there's no redemption in chapter three, right? It's act two. That's how act two goes. Everybody's in trouble. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, well, the last thing I'll say about and, Empire... And in Kirchner's hands, it's perfect, right? Yes, Kirchner, yeah, Kirchner absolutely he got all the notes just exactly right, man, you know? Well, the, the last thing I'll say about Empire before moving on to Return of the Jedi is that I remember... And by the way, if I make criticisms, it's criticisms from normie retards. It's not from people that actually know anything about Star Wars. I oh, remember I remember normie retards saying that, well, you know, Leia being Luke's sister in Return of the Jedi was just... That was just thrown into the story and it didn't really make any sense. And, oh, that means they kissed each other. You know, how terrible is that? But yeah, what they... But first, but what they're but they're what they're totally glossing over is remember the very end of Empire Strikes Back. Luke has been hurt. He jumps down the chute. He's sitting there hanging off of a off of a antenna pole or something on Cloud City, and this is this is the defeated Luke Skywalker begging for help. And he asks who he calls out for. He calls out for his masters. He calls out for Obi Wan, but Obi Wan's not there. So yeah. what does he do? He calls out for Leia, and right. Leia hears him. 
So it's, some the, kind the, of the scene was set. What are they talking about? It wasn't laid laid down. Except it was that, down. No, but Alan, I mean, they talked before. He and Gary Kurt, Lucas and Gary Kurtz have, have discussed before about how, um, you know, there was supposed to be another Skywalker character, his sister that was out there somewhere, and he was going to go find her at the end of Jedi was when he was going to go off after the other then. Um, and then... So it was I don't I don't believe that it was the plan all along, although it is true that they had it from the very beginning that Leia was adopted. So it raised the question of who her real parents were from the very beginning. I think it's possible that Lucas was leaving that open or, you know, hadn't hadn't decided all the way what to do with that. But I think. I, I think that he did not create the love triangle with the idea that they're going to turn out to be brother and sister in the end. You know what I mean? It was just going to be that Lucas grows, Luke grows up to be a Jedi Knight and they're basically priests and don't have girlfriends and stuff. And obviously Han is the pirate who gets the girl, you know? Mm -hmm. So, which is a little weird. In fact, somebody showed me Rothbard's, um, uh, review of Star Wars. He hated it. And one of the things he hated about it was by having Luke and Han, then it was totally unclear which one is the hero going after the who gets the girl in the end and all this because they had created that weird triangle with it. But I think, you know, like the way she kisses him at the beginning of, of Empire and all that, I don't think that they meant for that to be like, oh, this is going to turn out to be weird and scandalous in the next one when we reveal she's his sister. I think they decided later. And then the question was, man, what about the kiss on Hoth, though? And then they were like, ah, well. <laughs> you know, we'll yeah. just do it and get away with it, and then, which they did, right? Everybody was like, "What? That's kind of weird," but then it was okay. Well, okay. Know. Well, okay. So, let, jumping forward then to Return of the Jedi, because we've totally okay. spent like our entire runtime on just the original trilogy. Uh, so, Return of the Jedi. Oh, is the show only one hour? Well, the show's one hour, including oh, the two. monologue and the. Oh, I thought it was and... two, man. I'm sorry. No, that no, that's fine because we should just do an extended, extra long Star what, Wars episode. Oh, dude. It's, our, it's already decided. That's what we're two. doing. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, uh, this is the Thanksgiving Star Wars spectacular, so yeah. it could be whatever. Okay. All right. We right, gotta so, be at least as long as the Star Wars movie. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So, Return of the Jedi. All right. Yes. So, first of all, before getting into any of the particulars, so you until you yourself had mentioned, so some of the normies are out there like, well, where's our big space battle? Where's all the war? Blah, 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 blah. Return yeah. of the Jedi has everything, right? It's the finale. Oh, yeah. It has a big ground battle with the troops and the blasters. It has a big space battle with the rebuilding Death Star and the Millennium Falcon and the, the, the rebel fleet finally shows up and does something, you know, as opposed to running away. They they face the enemy. Uh, and of course, and, the, and then you still you have your lightsaber duel and i mean you've got literally it has everything now i will say this in the same way that i'd asked you was empire the best and you and you tend to agree that it is a lot of people tend to not like return of the jedi and i actually am willing to die on the hill that return of the jedi is a great movie as well like oh, just, be, yeah. just no, because I, you follow a great movie doesn't mean you're not also a great yeah. movie no i love it you know what it is it's um as the economists say you know compared to what so compared to Jedi not being out yet, let me tell you, man, for me and my friends in second grade when we were seven years old in 1983, waiting for that movie, oh my God, man, Ugh. we wanted that thing so damn bad. You don't know what it what it was like to be stuck between Empire and Jedi, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Years, the longest two years that ever happened in the world. 
and for little kids too. It was just unreal, waiting and waiting and waiting, um, dying for the slightest little clip of Revenge of the Jedi. You know, they'd show a little thing of Darth Vader walking down the ramp of the shuttle, and it was like, oh my God, what in the world? You know. Um, so at the time, I got to say, and speaking on behalf of all of the boys in second grade at the time, we just absolutely loved it. And and all the kids in the neighborhood, we all absolutely loved it. And I remember there was a controversy, like, what do you think of the Ewoks? And some of the older kids were like, man, that's childish or whatever. But we didn't care. We were seven and we didn't care at all, dude. And so, like, I still think of the Ewoks the way I thought of them then. Like, you know, uh, whatever. It's true. Whatever you think of the story, it's a true story. What happened? I don't know. Like, um, the same thing with the prequels, which we could talk about. It's got their problems, but at least it's the true documentary of the story that happened, according to the guy who told the story. There's nobody else to tell it but him. Yeah. And so, whatever. He says it was Ewoks on Endor. It was Ewoks on Endor. What am I going to do? And then, you know, ultimately, like the overall thing that we, you know, spoke about before about the the technological primitives um, taking on and defeating the technological empire, like that all comes through perfectly, like just the way it should, you know. So there's no problem with that. Um, yeah. well, and uh, well, so and, like looking at the looking at the beginning of the movie is like so in the same way that you saw Luke broken down and defeated. Now in the beginning, of, because the first the first act of the movie is the whole rescue of Han Solo and and it, you know they get their they kind of get their team implanted, but it doesn't go quite right. So then Luke comes in to save the day. But it's 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 a perfect intro to the movie because at, of course when we all last saw Luke, he wasn't he wasn't doing too well. And now you're seeing Luke. It's not just that he's a Jedi Knight now. It, it, don't worry about titles. It's he was a boy and now he's a man. Right. This is a man fighting. And he in comes this world. in. And he's all in black and he has his hood up. And the first thing he does is he chokes the Gamorrean guards. And you go, oh, I don't know what exactly is going on with this guy right now. You know what I mean? You got yeah. at least a minute of, to wait and see what's going to happen. And then, of course, once he confronts Jabba, then you know it's good old Luke and it's all good. Um, and then, yeah, you know, I remember how excited we were when he broke out that green lightsaber and everything. Look, that was just everything to us then. Uh, as kids and the whole thing at Jabba's palace, the whole menagerie there of all the crazy uh, aliens and everything. It's the, the same thing they did with the cantina. Like, how do you do the cantina again and then but make it work? And they did. They made it great. Again, that's why I hate the special edition thing where they just add all this stupid CGI stuff to what was already a great scene. You know, they, they pulled it off perfectly. This, this is a uh, good time to mention, too, that the difference between like take a movie like return of the Jedi and the most recent star Wars, which we'll do the prequels before we move up. Cause we're going to do everything chronologically is, you know, look, look at the original trilogy. Look at return of the Jedi. You have, you have people of color, you have, you have strong female characters, you know, you have diversity, but they're not in there in order to exist. If that makes sense. They didn't yeah, put in black people and gay people and women in order to make them, the, the it, right. them being what they are isn't the story they're just people like yeah. imagine that scott they're just people well and that was you know part of what was cool about it was this was clearly just an accident it was only implicit in the story that there's no such difference as white and black people in star wars like obviously like lando is darker than han but the difference in races is between you know quarren and 
uh, Twi'lex and whatever, all these different alien races mm -hmm. sure. making humans just humans. And so, yeah, I guess it would make sense that humans from different planets around the galaxy would come out with a little bit different shades of skin. But you wouldn't think of them as like whole different races of people. They're just humans because the different races are all these aliens. So in a way, it's like a very... Um, kind of melting potty sort of individualist kind of, um, you know, kind of take on, uh, on immigration and diversity and all that, but not written by, you know, as you're talking about there, like some crazy commie professors trying to destroy everything good and force some Korean girl down everyone's throat just for like quotas sake. Sure, I mean, yeah. I think people did pick on Lucas for having no black people in episode four. And then he was like, all right, all right, I'll make a black character. So like there was a little bit of that, but uh, you know, it was, it was a little bit political at the time, but like I was saying with Carrie Fisher that she didn't need to be there. He wasn't like, Oh, I made a deal with the ladies at Ms. Magazine that we're going to put, you know, this powerful woman in here or whatever. He just liked Carrie Fisher's spunk, you know, and was like, yeah, this, this one will do just fine. And then, and she just, you know, was a badass and so made the character uh, that way. So I, I totally agree with you that, and, and, and especially, you know, and it, and it plays out all the way through in, in, um, in Jedi too, with all the aliens and all the different looking kinds of humans or whatever. One funny story about that is Nien Num, who is the alien that flies co-pilot in the Falcon with Lando in Jedi yep. mm -hmm. that they gave him, uh, I forgot the name of it, but it's the Ethiopian language. And so they just had an Ethiopian voice actor do the real lines that he was supposed to say. Oh my God, Lando, take a left from the shield is still up or whatever, right? And he, he says all of that stuff in the native language. So everywhere else in the world, the guy's just talking some crazy alien language. But for the people in Ethiopia, when they saw that, they were like, yeah, and all went crazy at the theater, you know, and thought it was great. Um, and then like when the Ewoks are singing the song, da -do -da -do -da -da -do -da, that whole thing, that's a little old Chinese lady that they found for like way out in the Gobi Desert with this, lives in poverty in this tiny little thing. And this is this old traditional tribal song that her people sang. And that and they used all that for the Ewok songs where they're like kind of singing as they're working them. I think this is like they're singing to themselves as they're building the fire to cook Han Solo for dinner or something like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, Okay, so, well, yeah, it's great stuff like that in there. Lots so of stuff. A, like a couple of things I want to make sure that, to mention and b before yeah. we forget and move on. Is that, so first of all, I, kn I know that people in chat would be mad if I didn't mention Leia's bikini outfit in Return of the Jedi. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, look, did it, did it add anything to the story? No. But does absolutely everyone know what that is, even people who don't watch Star Wars? Yes. I, I really huh. don't have anything else to say about it other than everyone knows what that is. So, absolutely. Um, uh, and Wait, I, let me say too about if I can if I can trash Jedi a little, it would be and, and you can find this somewhere. I found the PDF file of this. It's green. If you're like looking for the page, it's a PDF out there, and it's um I don't know the really good keywords for you, I guess. But it's a discussion. It's the minutes. They, it's almost like a National Security Council meeting or something. They got minutes transcriptions of George Lucas meeting with Rick McCallum and the other producers. I think Gary Kurtz is gone by this point. But they're meeting and they're deciding whether they're going to do another Death Star or whether they're going to do the Battle of Corazant. 
instead, which is the imperial center, the capital city planet of the galaxy. And I forgot what the other option was. There was a third option. And they chew over it. And it's clear that Corazon, the battle, the invasion by the rebellion of the capital planet would be so awesome. But Lucas is like, nah, it'd be so expensive, though. I don't know if we can pull it off. Yeah. I was like, dude, he's already got so much money at this point. And this movie is absolutely guaranteed to make, no matter what he spends on it, it's going to make 500 times that much money coming back. You know what I mean? Like his unwillingness to spend a little more at that point, you know, marginal utility, you're a libertarian. Once you have tens and hundreds of millions of dollars, go ahead and spend 20 on another, the third movie that made you all those in the first place and make sure and go out with a damn bang, man. And instead, and this is how the Wookiees became, um, Ewoks. Well, part of it was he had already shown that Wookiees could fly spaceships and stuff. And he wanted the Ewoks to be more primitive. Although he could have had it where that was a special circumstance of Chewie just because he'd been hanging out with Han Solo so long. He could have still had a bunch of um, Wookiees enslaved by the Empire, you know, freed and rise up and overthrow the thing without and and show them as being ignorant to the technology, but just being brutes and just beating the stormtroopers up and whatever. They could have done that. And then half the reasoning was that if you make them small little teddy bears, that you'll save half the money on the costumes. Instead of getting a bunch of gigantic people to wear these gigantic costumes, we'll get a bunch of little people to wear little costumes. And it'll cost us half as much. And plus... They'll be cute and we'll probably sell more action figures and little stuffed plush things of cute things instead of making them all brutal, like, you know, Wookiees are like big gorillas, right? And if they're angry at war, killing Imperials, they're not cute. They're monsters in a sense or something. And so to read them talking about it in that way, they're like, this is the way that they're coming up with these decisions. Like, ah, I want to save a little money. And then, and they're going, you know, if we just do a second Death Star, isn't that kind of derivative, man? You know, I don't know. And like, they're talking about it. And then Lucas is like, nah, whatever. Let's just do the Death Star. It's yeah. not flattering. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not. It should have been, yeah, guys, come on, let's do the raddest thing that we can. And it'd be so cool. And we'd, we'd yeah. blow Man, we'll make 10 Corazons and blow them all up and see which explosion looks best. Blah. That's what he should have done, right? Here's a million dollars for you. Here's a million dollars for you. Let's do this shit. Let's bring back John Dykstra, who helped us with the special effects from Star Wars 4 and put him to work too, man. Let's do it. Oh, boy. And then what? It would have been the ultimate revenge of the Jedi, return of the Jedi that he had in mind. That he did have, like, this is would be the ultimate way to tell this story. And then in, he just dumbed it down. He was, like, in a hurry. He wanted to save time and save money and just wrap up this whole Star Wars thing. And, like, man, I hate to admit that that's true. But, like, I just read all up on it and just know that, like, that was part of the story of how as much as I still love Jedi, because it's the movie that it was to me when I was seven, no matter what, that I could see how... Yeah, you know, and, and quite literally, <laughs> it's so funny. None of us, when I was a boy, none of us thought another Death Star, that's kind of stupid. 
No one. Everyone's like, wow, another Death Star. Hey, and this time it's only half complete, so it looks a little bit different. Wow. Like, it was, yeah. Well, good well, enough for us, man. Absolutely good enough for us well, at this, the time. So I can't complain really about that part of it, you know. Well, to to your point about the money, I I, I looked this up while you were talking because I just okay. I just wanted to have the numbers. So keep in mind, this is 1983 money we're talking about here. So the yeah. dollar was worth a few more cents than it is today. Quite a bit. Return of the Jedi made just under a half a billion dollars worldwide against a production budget of 32.5 million. You see. That they made some money. <laughs> Return of the so other, yeah, thirty. In other words, he could have gone ahead and and dropped fifty, or sixty, or seventy. He could have said to Rick McCallum, "All right, dude, look, I've been doing a bunch of cocaine. Let's just do seventy-five and see what we can come up with, man. Let's build a Corazon and then let's set that bastard on fire. Let's do it. Let's bring Gary Kurtz back, because at least he's got some darkness in him, man. Gary Kurtz was a great influence on." I mean, they say he spent money and he took too long and whatever business problems. Forget that. The man had vision. He was a great partner for Lucas in telling the story of Star Wars. And in fact, now I think about it, part of what I was just telling you, I think I learned from an interview of Kurtz where someone is asking him, man, what went wrong with you and Lucas and what all happened there? And he kind of really opens up and talks about it and talks about how Jedi was supposed to be and how it was going to end with Luke, you know, going off into the darkness alone, uh, into the sunset alone in search of his long lost sister and new adventures and whatever that was going to lead to the next three chapters. And, um, and so, and yeah, like, so the story of Jedi, it, it was partially what I was saying. The thing that's green, that PDF that has the notes of their big meeting, it was kind of half of that and half this interview of Kurtz that I read years ago is sort of where I got that narrative from about like just kind of what could have been with Jedi. Um, But still, like I ain't complaining at all. I do absolutely love it. And again, for anyone tuning into just this part, I'm talking about the despecialized edition. I'm not talking about all the cartoon crap that they put in it that makes you want to just turn it off and go outside. I'm talking about the good version. Okay. Well, okay. On that on that note, since we'll we'll move on to the prequels, but I I just want to make two two quick points before we finish up on Return of the Jedi, is uh, so for one, it doesn't bother me that there was another Death Star, and this is my main reason why it doesn't bother me. If you've watched any random cartoon or whatever, like here's what Cobra is doing, here's what the Decepticons are doing, whatever, every single time they ever come up with some scheme to build some secret weapon or whatever, and then the good guys blow it up, I always, I'm one of those psychopathic kids that thinks, well, what, what if they just do it again when you're not looking? So, I mean, that's what the Empire did. It was, well, we've designed a Death Star that can blow up planets, and you destroyed it, but we still control the Empire and have its natural resources. So, to me, it makes perfect sense that, well, they would just build another one, because what's the Rebellion going to do about it? You know? like Right. So that's the, and, and the last thing is, is that I think one of the reasons why Return of the Jedi remains one of or my favorite is because it has my favorite scene in all of Star Wars. My favorite scene of all all of Star Wars is when they take Darth Vader's helmet off when he dies. Oh, yeah. And the reason why it's my favorite scene is because I know that they're – and this is another one of those things where I've seen normies specifically say I hate this scene and I want to punch him in the mouth. Is The fact is, is that you've spent – like imagine being in your seat, right? Like imagine being a kid growing up. You're watching the movies. You're waiting for Jedi to come out. And in your world, Darth Vader is the biggest, baddest baddie who ever lived. 
Nobody even comes close to how bad Darth Vader is. So after years and years and years of seeing him as just this unconquerable foe that no one can touch, you realize he's just an old man. Yeah. That's a powerful scene. Yeah, it's huge. I remember that at the time. Oh, and and I got to say, we all wanted to know so badly who is under there. I mean, is he even a man? Is he an alien? I remember... It's funny. I could see how I, I saw it this way. In the scene in Empire where they show the back of his head when he's in the the mm-hmm. in the, uh, Star Destroyer um, kind of meditation chamber there and they, yeah. the, the machine is putting his helmet on and the Imperial officer sees. I I wasn't sure it was the back of a man's head. Right? Like, it's a bald guy's head. Like, if I look at it now, yeah. But my impression of it then, from, like, the real quick glance that I saw of it on the screen, was I thought it was an alien's head. It looked like a weird, hairy light bulb or something to me. And I wasn't sure that he was even a man at all. And then, when he told Luke, I'm your father, for us kids, we weren't sure about that. And I actually saw a thing where Lucas explained how adults would understand that that's definitely true. He wouldn't say that as a lie. It wouldn't make sense for him to lie about that um, on that level of an emotional topic kind of a deal in that area. The, the way that it's framed, the role that it plays in the movie. Adults will understand, whoa, dude, Vader's his father. But children will not know if Darth Vader's lying or not. He's a bad guy. He tells lies and he wants Luke to think that, but we don't know why. Um, kind of a thing. And, uh, hell, where was I going with that, Alan? Um, uh, well, uh, well, I was just going to say really quick too, is that you remember, you remember the the look on Luke's face at the big unveil. And of course he's trying to save his dad, right? So he's getting to see his father and he, and he went there to save his dad. He doesn't, oh, he doesn't want him. To, yeah, he, he doesn't want him to die, but there's also that other side of it, which is I did it right. I, I beat the big, bad Darth Vader. But then you realize you beat up an old man. That's all you were able to do is beat him up when he was way, way past his prime. It, it's just a different perspective. I don't know. I don't know if anyone gets that. Yeah. Um. That's funny. I guess I never thought of that aspect of it that Luke, at that point, when he sees his face, that he would be disappointed in his own triumph. That like, oh, well, he yeah. is kind of. Yeah, that does yeah. make sense. He is kind of tubby and like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Him in the stomach. Um, I never thought of that aspect of it. I only just like the part about. But you're right, though, certainly that he is. I think Bill Moyers um, had his whole special with um, uh, good old what's his name that did the hero with a thousand faces, Joseph Campbell. He did his, his whole thing about that. Um, and, and he talked about Darth Vader and when Luke takes his helmet off, sorry, the reason I'm looking down is cause I only see myself there instead of you. And so I'm like, Oh, look at my own eyes while I'm talking. Um, he's, uh, he talks about how, um, it's, he's just a beaten old bureaucrat under there, right? He's not yeah. special at all. Not just is he an old man, but he's just another slave of the emperor. He's nobody under that helmet. The only thing is, is that was some pretty fancy looking armor. And a pretty dangerous red sword. But other than that, he's just a bureaucrat. Which is funny to hear Bill Moyers say, because he's such a liberal, progressive, Lyndon Johnson type. <laughs> yeah, anything, yeah. Of course. But, but the, he said that like with the disdain that it deserves. That, like, that's all he is, is merely a bureaucrat. 
um, under there. And I, I, I agree with you that it is very powerful to see him in that uh, kind of weakened spot. Um, well, okay, all right. Just, 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 just for just for the sake of time, because we're now moving on from okay. the original trilogy, which we all agree was fantastic. I wouldn't change anything about it. it. Even attempting to change things about it just makes it worse. All right, it's time to talk about the prequels. That's so, but before before we get into any individual movie, I I'll just say, and because and we'll talk about the Disney bullshit in, in, in later. But a lot of people what? didn't like the prequels then. But looking back, they kind of see it through rosy-colored glasses, and they like them more now. Does that describe you, or do you have a totally different opinion about it? That's that's like a half description of me. Okay. I liked them all at first, and then I grew to kind of dislike them. And then I liked them more again, especially when I saw the new crap that they put out did really redeem the prequels in a way. I think... I I watched the there was disappointment there but I watched them basically you know the way you watch a porno movie just around the dude and look at the girl you know kind of thing so like <laughs> I just forget the forget the gungans and just try to pay attention to the part of the story about the fall of the republic and the corruption in the senate and the the blindness of the jedis and the cunning of the sith and the and the good part, the spaceships and the R2-D2 again and just try to make the best of it, basically. That's my deal. Like I was saying before, and this is, goes really to the, the sequel movies that Disney made, was at least the prequels are true. You know? Yeah. You don't yeah. like them. This is what really happened, so screw you, right? Like, at least, you know, he's... I, God damn, with the with the sequels, they did a reboot. I mean, imagine doing a reboot... Of Star Wars, where you just tell the same story, where it's like, obviously, it's just the same story. You're not even continuing the same story. You're starting it over? Star Wars? Yeah. It's not even episode uh, seven. It's episode four again? Yeah. How could you do that? That's not the real story of what happened. Why don't you ask George Lucas what happened and then tell us that? And what do they do? We know he wrote them scripts and they threw them away. Yeah, exactly. Well, 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 hold, hold on, hold on. We'll we'll get we're we're gonna get to that. Let's, anyway, let's so finish the prequels, the prequels. really yeah. happen though. That's yeah. my point. The prequels okay. are you know real, and so yes, they have a lot of problems. But the story is: this is how the Republic becomes the Empire. This is how Anakin becomes Vader, and this is how the Chancellor becomes the Emperor. And yeah. right, how the Sith destroy the Jedi, betray them and, and destroy them and take over the galaxy. It's badass, man. It's a great story. And especially like as a, you know, especially like in the in the 90s and in that era, uh, you know, right around then, I was like much more of a conspiracy guy reading all the texts on the skull and bones and all of those kinds of things. And so the whole idea of having this secret society of the Sith is still just two, but it is what it is. And they remain behind the scenes. And it's, you know, as they say in the book of episode one, that the Sith, you know, they fought this massive war amongst themselves. And then the leader that came out on top had adopted one principle of the Jedi, patience. And everything else he disdained, but he would adopt patience and secrecy and he would bide his time until he could figure out how to corrupt the senate enough 
that he could take the bitch over and have his way. And if like bin Laden, I'll be long dead. It'll be my great, great, great grand student who takes up the mantle and gets the job done. But that's the job. One day we're going to have revenge against the Jedi Knights and take the galaxy back over again. And then they do it in that very like secretive Sith skull and bones kind of conspiracy theory way, which is beautiful. Like episode one, I remember it's funny. I got in an argument with some lady in my cab and then I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was some confusion because in the first trailer for episode one, Senator Palpatine is this complete douche. And they just show him saying, well, I think we're going to have to accept Federation control for the time being. And I think, I think what it was, the argument was the lady in my cab was right. And I was dumb and wrong because I thought I couldn't understand because I couldn't believe that Lucas was going to make a movie where it's a whole conspiracy theory thing and where the they have that's clearly Ian McDermott playing Senator Palpatine, but he sure looks like he's being pushed around or something. And I couldn't believe that Lucas would have it where he's keeping a deep, dark secret and he's manipulating everyone here. And it's that conspiracy theory of a movie. Um, and so I was I thought like. I don't know what happened. Somehow the Sith takes this guy over or I don't know what's going to happen here, but like, eh, I don't know. And then what happens in episode one? Like if you're paying attention, you know what's going on here. You figure out what's going on here. The senator from this planet, it should have been Alderaan. They shouldn't have made it Naboo because we want to care about Alderaan, don't we? But anyway, yeah, yeah. the senator from Naboo, he arranges for this group of tax collectors to invade his own planet. In order to force a crisis in the Senate, he manipulates the queen of that planet into calling for a vote of no confidence in the current chancellor. And then he gets himself elected chancellor, all based on the sympathy generated by a false flag attack that he arranged yeah. on his own country yep. to become chancellor. And that's how the movie ends with him, them going, congratulations, chancellor. And Sam Jackson says to Yoda, geez, but who do we destroy? The master of the apprentice. And then they show him. There he is. The newly elected president of the galaxy is the bad guy. And he and you guys just helped him win. Yep. And that's how the thing starts. So for me, forget Jar Jar Binks and all of that stupid crap. You know, like, I don't care about that. That's cool, man. That's yeah. awesome that George Lucas did that. That's how the Sith take over the galaxy is by jerking everyone's chain and getting Yoda and Sam Jackson to do all their dirty work. And then, of course, it gets better in this in, in episode two and three. But go ahead. Well, I was, I was just going to I'm I'm laughing because Yoda is Yoda, but Mace Windu is Sam Jackson. He's not Mace well, Windu. He's Sam. Yeah, Jackson. <laughs> no, that's all right. But but as long as we're talking about Yoda, I think they screwed this up. And I understand they got to sell toys and it's an important character and whatever. But I, they they really wasted the opportunity for two things here. And I don't know if this is an original thought. I may be plagiarizing this from somewhere that somebody else said this and I thought it was smart. Alan, forgive me if I. Uh, if that's right, I don't remember who to give credit to. Maybe some guy on YouTube said this or something. But here's what it is. Yoda should have barely been in the prequels. The whole part of the story should have been Yoda trains like the new Jedi students. 
And in fact, this is what Lucas had said about him. He doesn't fight. He doesn't have a sword. He's a teacher only kind of guy. He's not really a knight. He's a separate thing. And they changed that. They end up putting him, of course, he's the head of the council and everything. But the way they should have had it was he trains the students and he spends the rest of the time in one of those ivory towers. And when they show the Jedi temple, there are four ivory towers around the yes, thing. Yes, yes. And they should have had it where Yoda is spends all of his time in the ivory tower using the force and trying to figure out what the hell is going on. That's all he ever does. He just sits up there meditating. Has anybody seen Yoda? No, he's been up there for three weeks. That's all he does is he sits up there. He knows that something is wrong. He knows the force is turning dark. He knows that there's a problem and he's doing everything he can to look into the future and to try to figure it out. And he, but he can't do it. But what's happening is though, is he's missing of what's going on in the country around him. Because he's up there using his magic, he's it's almost like the CIA. They rely so much on classified information that they miss the open source stuff that would have provided them the context that they needed to know to understand what was really going to happen. And that does happen a lot, right? That's a thing. And so that's what they should have done with Yoda. Is This is how Yoda blows it, is essentially as... as and it would have landed a lot hard. It would have landed better in episode three when the emperor says this to to him. He accuses him of being arrogant. Yeah. And that's that should have been correct. You should have been like, "Yep, he's got you there, Yoda." When the emperor said that, which is not really evident the way they play it out in the movie, but it should have been right that Yoda said, "Don't worry, I'm going to take care of it. I'm the master. I know what to do. I'm going to go up to my ivory tower and use the force and figure out the thing and this and that and whatever." Meanwhile, Sam Jackson is a real hard ass and a real militarist and he runs the Jedi Council. And this is a huge wasted opportunity. Was they should have made Sam Jackson close friends with Palpatine. Those guys should have totally trusted each other and been bros and pals working together. I'm the head of the Jedi Order at war, leading the army. You're the civilian supreme commander of the Senate and the army. You and me, we're going to save this republic together. Then that way, when Anakin in, sorry, I'm jumping ahead, but when Anakin tells Sam Jackson in episode three that, oh my God, I figured it out. Palpatine is the Sith Lord. That way it really hits and you see Sam Jackson going, oh, no, because and in fact, they even the it's like the second unit director blew it. Right. They got the line wrong. They should have redubbed it. They got the line wrong. Anakin says to him, I figured out that Chancellor Palpatine is a Sith Lord. Not the Sith Lord, because they know we already know in the story they're looking for one guy. Yeah. He says he's a Sith Lord, which is already wrong. Then Sam Jackson says a Sith Lord, <laughs> which, <clears throat> God dang it, Bobby, that's not the line, yeah. right? Yeah. The line is Chancellor Palpatine is the Sith Lord. Not why would all the emphasis be on the word Lord? Stupid. That doesn't have anything to do with it. The emphasis is on Sith and not even that. The emphasis is on, wait, what did you say the name of the Sith Lord was again? You said the Chancellor himself 
is a Sith Lord? Anakin, that can't be right. And then Anakin goes, no, he admitted it. He revealed it to me, Sam Jackson. I swear to God. And then Sam Jackson, this hits him like a ton of bricks. Oh my God, what have we done? We just conquered the whole galaxy for this guy. And he's the guy. And, and he's been jerking our chain this whole time and now he's got it around our neck and we got five minutes to stop him or we're screwed, right? Yeah. That was how they should have done it. And they totally blew that opportunity to do that because they want to put Yoda in every scene because of what? He's just such a little green icon or whatever. But it detracted from the story. And again, it detracted from like we talked about in the earlier episodes. It was Lucas's kind of conception that this is all a plot driven exercise here. It doesn't matter if Sam Jackson has any lines at all. This whole thing could just have John Williams score over it and you watch it on mute and you see what's happening. He doesn't understand that it matters whether we care about Mace Windu. Mm -hmm. It matters whether, we, you know, you can only care so much about Yoda, especially CGI Yoda. I mean, yeah. he's right across from Luke teaching Luke the, the most important facts of life. That's one thing, but he's jumping and spinning and this and that, like you don't care about him. You can't care about C-3PO the way they throw him around in there, you know? Um, and you certainly can't care about Anakin and Obi-Wan and Padme the way that you care about Luke, Han and Leia. They just don't have the character. They don't have the camaraderie with each other. They don't develop the love triangle here where Anakin's jealousy of Obi-Wan, where he thinks that Padme has a crush on Obi-Wan and he's worried about whether Obi-Wan's talking about him behind his back and whatever. Teenage boys can get upset about things. They try to play that up a little, but then they didn't know what to do with it and didn't they like cut all that stuff out in the end. So like uh, all of the sort of character driven stuff got cut out. So we end up, yeah, watching a silent movie. Where it's yeah. like, okay, here's where Obi-Wan fights and here's where the spaceship takes off. And, but we don't care nearly as much, you know, well, I, I, I will say this. So I'll catch up with you. I'll, I'll eventually get to, uh, to, uh, revenge of the Sith, but the, 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 the while, while I think the biggest, like, if you just had to put in one sentence, why are the prequels not as good is that they just don't have the same charm. They don't have the same charm as the original trilogy, even if they did come later and have more effects and all that crap. But I will say they still, they still kind of like how you already said, they still have some highlights. There's still a lot of good things about them. One thing I would say is that while, while the characters, and I agree with you, you don't, you're not as invested in the characters, but you and McGregor as young Obi-Wan was, was, that was a good casting. He plays, a, oh, yeah. he plays a good, he, he has the manner, like he has Alec Guinness's mannerisms and tone of voice and because, and, and Ewan McGregor has said that he said, look, I'm, I'm literally just pretending to be Alec Guinness because he's the guy, he's the standard yeah. for this character. So I'm pretending to be him. Uh, and the, was great too. Yeah. Yeah, know, yeah. Yeah. Liam Neeson in the wrong role though. I mean, this is the thing is the story should have been that Obi-Wan goes out there and finds Anakin, not Qui-Gon Jinn. Like, who cares about Liam Neeson, the actor? Like, he's got to be flattered by being the lead in episode one? No. The story should be, and in fact, like, even think about it in the sequels where Obi-Wan says, was I any different when you taught me? But yeah, apparently so. Apparently he was like the squarest guy in school and never cut up whatsoever. And the most the most by-the-book Jedi Knight of all. And it's his master, uh, uh, Qui-Gon Jinn, who's the reckless one. But that doesn't make any sense. It would be so much better if 
reckless Obi-Wan goes, hey, master, I got this guy. You can't say no to me, man. He's so talented. He's so bright. He won this race and got us a hyperdrive. And I pulled off all of this stuff. And but you got to train him, dude. Right. And then but but then the master dies and, and Qui-Gon could have been a father to this Anakin, but he gets killed. And now Obi-Wan is stuck training a kid, but he's only a couple years older. So at most he can only be an older brother. He can't really, really be a father. And the kid never had a father anyway. He was a slave and only had a mom. And now he's only got an older brother and not a father who can really raise him right. And so now they're stuck in this thing, whatever. And then Obi-Wan's the star of the show. It's his, it was, it's Obi-Wan and Anakin's show. But meanwhile, it's not even about Qui-Gon Jinn. It's about Liam Neeson. Almost like he's the Korean girl or whatever. We have to build this around pleasing this actor and his agent or something like that. And at the expense of the story where it should have been all about those two. And Qui-Gon Jinn plays a more peripheral role. Um, I think that was another big wasted opportunity in the story yeah. there. Because uh, Obi-Wan doesn't even really do anything in episode one until he fights at the end, you know? Well, one thing, and, and I want to get your thoughts on this, too. So moving forward to, like, Clone Wars, we'll, we'll kind of, like, mash up Clone Wars and Revenge oh, sure. of the Sith. Because that that's, that's the Clone Wars, right? So we'll, yeah. we'll mash that together. Um, something that I've thought about, it's one of those things, I didn't think this when I was watching them originally. I thought this way down the road, is in a lot of ways, the prequels are about the ascendancy of the Sith, but it's matched, it's paired with how the Jedi failed, how the where the right. Republic went wrong. Um, and obviously in, in, and I'm totally on point by the way, with, with your thoughts on Yoda, I'm not like, I'm not totally against him being in the movies the way he was, but I think, I think that they at least tried, I don't know, maybe they tried and failed, but I think they at least tried to demonstrate that he was great and he was powerful and he failed Yeah, because that's because well, sometimes they do. Oh, you know what it was? And I, maybe I was going to rant this, but I forgot that. See, I was a cab driver back then. And I would joke around with people in my cab that if Yoda would ever take a cab, if he would climb down from his ivory tower and just get a ride around Corazon with a scumbag like me, I would have told him, obviously, the chancellor is the Sith Lord, dude. Can't you tell that? He's engineered this whole war. He's jerking your chain, pal. Any qualified conspiracy nut could have let Yoda know what's going on. But Yoda was too close to it. He was so the, what I'm saying really is like that was already the case, but he should have just been even higher up in his ivory tower. And then it should have been obvious then too that that was why he failed was because he was so caught up in his special power to see the future and use the force to find his enemy and all these things. But that if but that the Sith had him blinded. And all those powers were not going to get the job done where regular people with no power at all who were upset about the direction the Republic was going in, they could have told them what was really going on. Yeah. Well, you know, the, it's the neocons. They're Netanyahu's men. Can't you see, you know? Yeah. Well, and so I think two, two big points kind of leading up into, okay, so Clone Wars, Revenge of the Sith. The first thing is, is you have that line from Liam Neeson, right, right jump off in the very beginning of the first movie. He tells uh, Amidala, I can protect you. I can't fight a war for you. And what did the Jedi do five minutes later? They go fight a war. That All right, so failing number one. And number two, and this is, again, this is something that I thought years down the road that really kind of hit me like a ton of bricks that didn't hit me at the time. 
the Jedi or, or the ideals of the Republic at large, but particularly the Jedi, is that they're supposed to be for peace. They're peacekeepers. We don't want to fight wars. We don't want to hurt people. We don't want to see people be hurt. I mean, that's why we're anti-war, right? We don't want to see people be hurt. It isn't a matter of picking winners and losers. I don't want, I don't want people to die. And then what do they do? They find a clone army. What do they do 15 seconds after finding the clone army? Oh, they're disposable grunts. Send them off to die in a war. Yep. And, you know, it's, yeah, so to get into episode two then, there's so much stuff in episode two to go over. Now, I don't know if you've ever gotten into this stuff, but I wrote an article back in 2005 when episode three came out called Star Wars and the American Empire. It's at antiwar.com. And I, um, it was a companion piece to an interview I had done of Mark Thornton, the great uh, Austrian school economist from the Ludwig von Mises Institute. And um, Mark Thornton had written an article all about the economics of episode one and how I totally agreed with him about this. It didn't really make sense the way they portrayed the Trade Federation. And there's actually a book um, that like tries to explain this in a way, whatever. I think I think um, Thornton's explanation of the Trade Federation makes the most sense, that they're not really a Trade Federation. They should essentially be it would be make more sense that they're contractors for the IRS. They're here to collect tariffs on behalf of the national government, but they're like Blackwater mercenary, kind of a corporation hired to do it. And the, this planet is refusing to pay their taxes on these trade routes. And this is what's leading to the battle. Now there's a book that takes place. It's all about, I forgot what it's called now. It's got, it's about Hago Damask, who was Palpatine's master. Um, uh, uh, oh, Darth Plagueis. It's the book of Darth Plagueis. They yeah. explain the whole economics of the, the outer rim, the inner core and the mid rim systems and who's paying taxes and who has protection and all this stuff. It's really very interesting. If you're that much of a kook about it, the way I am, um, it's a, it's an interesting story, but, um, Anyway, so Thornton is just saying, because look, he's Mark Thornton, right? So he he goes, when he saw the opening crawl in the yellow words of episode one, mm -hmm. and he saw that the first the first sentence was the taxation of trade routes is in dispute, like the whole place groaned. What? Oh God. And Mark Thornton was like, Rah, this is great, dude. Of course <laughs> that's how the war started, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that was his first thing. And then his second thing was, look, can't you see what's going on? Naboo is half India and half Jamaica. Um, Princess Amidala, Queen Amidala, with her, her makeup and her, her dress and her extremely perfectly practiced English, represents like an Indian princess, uh, you know, representing the subcontinent. And then... Uh, of course, under British rule, right? And then um, Jamaica, of course, was also ruled by the British Empire. And then this is the Gungans on the other side of the same planet there. There's this like direct comparison there. This, this is the British Empire. And then the, the, the Republic is the British Empire. And then in that case, that means the Trade Federation are the British East India Company. And they're, you know, extorting the, these people out of their tax revenue, this, that, the other thing. So it's all very interesting. And that was, um, uh, I guess I had read that later. Maybe he had written that when episode one came out, but I interviewed him about it in 05 and I, I wrote a piece about it. But So that was, you know, um, a cool little bit about, episode one, uh, was the, 
the historical parallel there. And then in episode two, I mean, I don't know exactly. I've never heard Lucas say this before, but it's just so clear to me, right? That in episode two, Chancellor Palpatine is Abraham Lincoln. And this is the United States of America is the Republic. And it's about to split in two under the secessionist leadership of General Christopher Lee, who is, you know, uh, Count Dooku, who is sort of a combination of General Lee and Jefferson Davis, right? Leading the secessionist movement from the Republic. And later, of course, they add General Grievous as more like the General Lee character or whatever the hell, I guess he's supposed to be Bedford Forrest or something. But, um, uh, but so what's happening though, is it's America's civil war, only it's all a conspiracy. And Jefferson Davis is actually a member of Abraham Lincoln's evil secret society. And Abraham Lincoln is his master. And Abraham Lincoln is working behind the scenes with Jefferson Davis to arrange this war. The South is going to secede so that the North can attack it so that they can turn the Union Army and the Republic into the Imperial Army of stormtroopers at war forever into the American Empire. That's the story of episode two. And that, it, you know, it was all a plot. Now, I'm not saying Lucas is saying that Lincoln was secretly the master of the South, but I'm saying that's the story in episode two. As we find out, if you if you know the story well enough, you understand at the time as it's playing out. In fact, they kind of ruined it when they showed Count Dooku in episode two have a red sword. Again, he's got to fight Yoda and he's got to do all this crap. But in episode two, it shouldn't have been clear yet whether his sword is red or not. It should have been a little bit of a mystery because in, the story is that the Republic is very corrupt. And this group of people, just like Princess Leia and her people, they're fighting against it. And Count Dooku, after all, was uh, Qui-Gon Jinn, uh, Liam Neeson's master. And he claims, and even Sam Jackson believes, that he left the Jedi Order out of principle, even if they disagreed, that he thought it was no longer right that the Jedi Knights were bound to protect the Republic that was no longer itself bound by the principles of the Republic and had become so corrupt that it was no longer worth defending. So by giving him a red sword in episode two, hell, they even showed his red sword in the commercial for episode two, that look, Christopher Lee, definitely a bad guy. Okay, great. And kind of ruin that whole thing where to throw some mystery into just what all is exactly behind this secessionist movement, which would make it better when the realization comes in episode three that, wow, so this guy, Count Dooku, who ruled the secessionist movement and broke away, who's Jefferson Davis and, and General Lee all at the same time here, that Wow, he's secretly the employee of Emperor Palpatine. And this whole damn thing was a put on. In fact, they even show at the end of episode two, he goes and visits Palpatine. And Pal but you don't know it's Palpatine yet, but you know it's the emperor and, and the future emperor. And he says, the war has begun. Oh, you've done very well and whatever. I think that was even, eh, that was okay, I guess. But they could have even left that out. It should have been more of a mystery. And then you only find out in episode three. They're like, oh man, this, see, they were really in cahoots all along. But so anyway, episode two, it is the story of the American Civil War. And then that brings us into the Clone Wars, you know, movie, which forget. But then the, the Clone Wars 
uh, series, which was seven seasons long, and you can throw out a bunch of Jar Jar Binks episodes and different ones that were no good. But there's a lot of great story in there. But I guess I would rather criticize them, Alan, and focus on what's not in there. Sure. And what should have happened in the Clone Wars. And I know it's for kids and whatever, but it's for me too. And And it would make more sense for the kids. That in the Clone, and this is what, you know, for, for people who are not that familiar, the Clone Wars takes place entirely between episode two and three. Episode two ends with the beginning of the Clone Wars, and then episode three begins with the end of it. So you don't get to see it happen at all, which is another weird thing. They should have not even done episode one. They should have done episode two as episode one, and then the Clone Wars is episode two, and then episode three is episode three. But anyway, so he made all these cartoons to show how the Clone War, this big fake civil war, was fought. Again, both sides are secretly controlled by, you know, the chancellor of this side is the secret master of the, the leader of the other side, uh, the secessionist movement on the other side. So the whole war is a put on, the droids versus the clones. And what they should have done was they should have had more people, more alien races and people fighting with the robots. So the war is not just against the robots and like a few politicians who control them. It's the people of all of these worlds are trying to secede from the union and they want out and they're fighting and they're suffering and dying at the hands of the Republic that is enforcing, as they said, we will not allow the galaxy to be split in two. We will save this Republic by force. You will not secede from the union. You Mm -hmm. will die first and we will reconquer your ass as exactly Abraham Lincoln had as his policy at the time, right? And so then the whole way of the cartoon series for seven years between episode two and episode three, it should have been showing the Jedi Knights, led, of course, by Obi-Wan and Anakin, over and over and over again, compromising their principles. As you were saying, the failure of the Jedi Knights here is the only way they could lose to the Sith is because they were the ones doing the wrong thing. They conquered the whole galaxy with an army of clone stormtroopers that no one would ever be able to resist again. So whose fault is it when they got stabbed in the back that no one was there to protect the people from the stormtroopers that they had conquered the entire galaxy with? them that's whose fault it was theirs right and so um what they should have done and would have been so easy to do and again this is the story of america it's supposed to be the story of america they should have shown the republic military becoming more and more like the imperial military that we recognize instead they saved all of that until the last two seasons which didn't even come out until later Um, only then all of a sudden you see them wearing imperial military uniforms and all the buildings are shaped like trapezoids and all of these things that make it clear that like, oh, I get it. Now we're on the very eve of the Republic becoming the empire, but they should have been doing that all along. And they should have been doing things like invading neutral planets or even allied planets, but just saying, listen, you have no choice. We're building a giant garrison here because there's a hyperspace lane and you've got raw materials and we need to make Star Destroyers and blah, blah, blah. That's what you get for being in the Empire. We're going to have our way. And they should have shown, and they do show torture in the cartoons. They do show repeatedly Anakin and other Jedi using the Force 
like threatening, holding a lightsaber to a guy's throat, beating his ass down, threatening him, scaring him, using the force to torture, to torture people into confessing, into telling the truth, intelligence about what they know, this and that. Only in the show, they just make it like it's a thing. Like it's, yeah, whatever. It just is a scene in an episode. You don't pick up on the idea that what's happening here is the Jedi are not supposed to be torturing people ever. And they're, they're crossing the line. They themselves are turning the force dark by waging this war. They are the ones blinding themselves, crippling themselves and their own power because they keep giving in to the dark side of the force. They're not, oh, we're all Sith Lords now, like it's black and white. They're yeah. compromising and compromising and compromising and compromising. And by the end of the thing, they're not any better than the stormtroopers. By the end of the thing, by, by the time of episode three, when Palpatine tells the world, they tried to kill me. They're the ones who started this whole war. You know that Count Dooku used to be one of them. And then he leads the other side. And then the Jedi use this whole war to take over the galaxy with their stormtroopers. And then they try to do a coup d'etat and overthrow me. And they're going to try to turn this whole galaxy into a dictatorship. Yeah. Where's the line, and though? When he says that, when he says that, it would make sense then that the people would believe him. Yeah. Instead of the Jedi Knights, instead of saying, no way, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Samuel L. Jackson tried to murder you. I don't believe it. Instead, they did believe it. Because the Jedi, again, at Palpatine's very crafty conspiracy theory insistence, they had been doing his dirty work and they had gotten their hands so dirty and so bloody and their reputation. They had dragged their own reputation through the mud that people no longer saw them as their protectors, but instead thought, you know what, Palpatine's story, that this is all the Jedi's fault. Kind of makes sense to me when you look at the way that they've been acting lately and that part of the story was left out and it's it's such a shame. And in fact, I think like by the by episode six and seven of the Clone Wars, it's almost like Filoni and then went, oh, man, we got to hurry up and cram the transformation to Empire into these last few episodes while it's before it's too late, Be because that was what they neglected to do for six, you know, five years before that. Well, okay. So on that note, uh, jumping ahead, we'll we'll wrap up the prequels with this. Talking about Revenge of the Revenge of the Sith. So, uh, Anakin's upset. First of all, Anakin's Anakin's irredeemable at the end because at this point he's already murdered a bunch of people. He's he's already killed the younglies. He literally murdered a school full of children. So I mean, there's there's nothing redeemable about Anakin at that point. Yeah. Um, but it is true that Obi Wan was not sent. Uh, was it Mustafar? That's where they right. they they fight. He's not sent to Mustafar to arrest him and ask right. him questions. He's sent there to kill him. So they'll call it what it is. Yep. Um and, and yeah, and Obi-Wan, who's just taken aback at all these terrible things that has happened, and he's in shock, and he's basically saying to Anakin, How can you side with Palpatine? He's the Sith. He's everything wrong. Uh, he's evil, and Anakin famously, in 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 a way that only Chris, Hayden Christensen can say back is, from my from my view, it's the Jedi that are evil. And people tend to kind of say, oh, what you know, like what a silly cartoonish delivery by Hayden Christensen. But is he correct? Are the Jedi evil at that point? Yeah. Well, see, that's the whole thing. Is it should have been clear now that he really has a point there. And in fact, uh, it's been a long time, and I, but I'm pretty sure that if you read the book of episode three, you know, the novelization, 
based on the scripts that Lucas had given the guy. Um, that, uh, uh, hell, what was I going to say there? I'm so, I'm such a stoner. I haven't got him, got what Biden's got self-inflicted wound. Um, uh, are the Jedi Eve? Oh, uh, yes, exactly. I remember now what I was going to say in, and you can see some of this Alan in the deleted scenes. If you get the DVD with the deleted scene, whatever, you can look them up on YouTube. They'll show you the deleted scenes from episode three. And they had tried to develop the political story in episode three and all this got cut to the cutting room floor. It sure. didn't make sense. It wasn't well done and it didn't flow with the movie and it was already way too long. And so all this got cut, but there's a scene, for example, where it's like the founding of the rebel Alliance and it's Padme Amidala meeting with Bail Organa and some of the other senators. And they're saying, Oh my God, Palpatine has gone way too far. He keeps amending the constitution like every day we can't even keep up. And this is getting out of control and we got to consider whether we need to move against him. And they go, and this is all in the book. They tell it actually pretty well, it's a pretty well written story the way, you know, for this. Um, and so the senators, it, the way they portray it in the book, it's actually great. It's actually, it's like a tragedy because the way that they set it up is the senators feel like maybe they could stop Palpatine and overthrow him. They think maybe they have the votes if they could stand together. And if they knew that the Jedi Knights had their back, if they knew that they had the support of the Jedi, that he is going so far now that we think maybe we can stop him. Uh, that we can call it like enough of this it has to be stopped. And if the Jedi support us, all right, word up then. And this is one of the scenes too. You can go and see, they go to meet with Palpatine and they go, Hey, we have this petition. It's the petition of 500. And, and this is like a show of force of the Senate. They're like, look, man, we want you to stop amending the constitution. And we want you to promise that when the war is over, you're going to lay down your emergency powers. just like you promised in episode two and everything. And, uh, all of that. And he says, oh, yes, I'll take your concerns under advisement. Thank you very much. Very patronizingly. And in the in the deleted scene and in the book, Anakin is standing there. Palpatine's already made his move where he's requested to the Jedi Council that Anakin come and be his personal bodyguard and representative of the Jedi Council, his representative on the Jedi Council. And the Jedi fell for it and agreed to this taking the opportunity that they'll use Anakin to spy on Palpatine and report back to them, which of course in the story undermines his confidence in them rather than him being like, we'll do sir. And let you know, in fact, he's actually very close friends with Palpatine and doesn't really see why he should prefer Sam Jackson and Yoda to Palpatine at this point. Meanwhile, he's standing there next to Palpatine. So when the senators come to meet Palpatine and threaten him and are hoping against hope that the Jedi Knights will take their side, there's the most famous and powerful Jedi Knight of all. Her secret boyfriend, husband, is the one standing there at Palpatine's side. And so they go, oh, crap. Well, there goes that. So they don't attempt to contact Sam Jackson or Obi-Wan Kenobi or Yoda or anyone else and say, listen, it's time for us to sending senators and you Jedi Knights to put an end to this right now. We think we have the votes. Let's try it. And if you'll test it, if you will come before the Senate and say that you think it's really important, Yoda, maybe they'll listen to you, whatever. That opportunity's lost because Anakin, the chancellor's already made the move and, and had Anakin standing at his side by the time they call the meeting. And so um, it's like a, a big opportunity lost to stop him there.
And then again, if people remember the movie, what happens is he he reveals himself to Anakin. Yes, I am the Sith Lord. And Anakin figures out, although they don't explain, the dialogue is not very well written and they don't do a very good job of it. But if you're following the story closely, you understand that, wait a minute, if he's saying he's the Sith Lord, that means he is the secret boss, always was the secret boss of Christopher Lee, Count Dooku, the leader of the Separatists. And the whole war was a put on. Both sides were controlled by one guy. And Anakin lights up his lightsaber and goes, man, I want to kill you right now. And Chance pops and goes, well, maybe you should. And he goes, well, I'm going to turn you into the Jedi Knights. He goes, well, you should do that. And so then he goes and tells Sam Jackson, this is again where they blow the line. And he goes, oh, Sith Lord, when the line should have been Sam Jackson saying, oh my God, the friend Chancellor himself is the Sith Lord. Not he's under the influence of one. He is the Sith Lord the literal commander-in-chief in charge of the armed forces right now? Holy crap. We have to get there right now before, obviously, the Jedi Knights are all stabbed in the back and killed. Uh, the commander, their boss. And so then they jump in the truck. They drive over there to confront him. And the way Palpatine sets it up, it's a coup. It's the Jedi are the ones out of line, and which is true. They don't have the authority to overthrow the elected chancellor of the Senate. They just think it's an emergency enough. And this is one of the themes of Star Wars 2 all the way through. There's no time to discuss this in committee. And that's, that's again, the theme of, of war. How do you turn the republic into the empire? Through the emergency of war. And when it's wartime, there's no time to discuss this in a committee, right? Isn't that what happens in episode one? That's what leads to the call of no confidence in the chancellor is he says, well, we'll appoint a committee to investigate. And she goes, no. Right. And so this is this is the thing over and over again uh, is the worse the crisis is, the fewer people get to call the shots about what to do about it, because there's just no time to fight uh, to um, uh, to squabble amongst ourselves about what to do. And um, so uh, when they force the issue. Then he gets when and then and, and they do a coup. Well, he goes, well, I know how to prevent that is I'm just going to consolidate even more power to myself and call myself emperor from now on. And the Senate will take on an advisory role only until they're eventually abolished entirely in episode four, as we discussed previously there. So um, it's the way the politics play out. And, and that just got cut out of the movie. Right. Yeah. So it's so it, in other words. Sorry, I'm taking too long to say it, Alan, but the point being that in the book, they build a case enough for Anakin to see it the way that you're describing. You're yeah. right. It, it sounds silly and trite the way it comes off in the movie because they cut out all the scenes that make it make sense because they weren't very well done. The story wasn't written tightly enough. They put off way too much that you know into to try to put into the movie there and whatever so um that part of it had to go but it it was supposed to look like it was supposed to be obvious to us the movie audience that it was quite really was convincing to the senate and convincing even to anakin at least if atlantic if anakin is lying to himself he at least has a pretty plausible lie that you know what Yoda was out of line here, asking me to spy on the Chancellor, at trying to get to overthrow the Chancellor. Jedi's have no right to overthrow the Chancellor. And of course, after all, the Chancellor's promising to save his wife too. And yeah. so he's got his reasons right. But like, 
it should have been more plausible, uh, the explanation of how out of line. And again, only because the emperor <clears throat> manipulated them. Sure. But they fell for it. Well, so in the same way, because I, I, I think kind of summing that up would just be that, you know, the trappings are there for the story as it was. It's just it kind of came off in some places cheap because they were trying to distill that down into movie form. It was already running long. George yeah. Lucas, maybe he's not the greatest director and screenwriter who's ever lived. There's 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 reasons. Um, but to, to put a bow on Revenge of the Sith is so the final duel, Anakin Obi-Wan. Yeah. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't want to get into a 45-minute talk about lightsaber forms and Obi-Wan being a Sarisu specialist and, and that being the reason why he wore Anakin down and all. I see you smiling over there in the monitor. And Scott, we just don't have time for all that, but I know that you know what I'm talking about. But to put, but to put it again in a kind of a, this is how the movie made it cheap, but I promise you the story is there. People, people who only look at prequel memes because they think they're funny will say, oh, herp derp, I have the high ground. That means I'm literally an unkillable juggernaut. Well, that's the cheap way that the movie portrayed what the reality was, which is, first of all, Obi-Wan's not a bitch. He's actually quite powerful himself. But two, this is a guy who was tailor-made to take that young whippersnapper down. Like, there's a Yoda didn't send him thinking Obi-Wan was going to die. He sent him, A, because there's no one else to send, but B, he thinks he can do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. And look, um, you know, uh, it, it's sort of like you said about the dinosaurs before. You know, when you get you so convinced about the CGI and the power of the CGI and all that, it just takes away from the telling of the story. So you have them like, flying around on these droids in a lava field and whatever where like i can believe in chewbacca but it's very hard for me to believe these people's clothes are not on fire you know what i mean like this is just not making sense at yeah, all sure they could have yeah. had the whole fight at the volcano without being like floating through the lava field and all of this stuff in a way that just was too and he got spielberg to do all that uh and that should have all been you know cut down you know, I don't know. It, it's all right. So I, I, I will say this. I, I won't push back on that part. I do think that they definitely went too over the top. Too, it was too much spectacle. But I will say that I can appreciate the rule of cool. And since we're getting ready, because we we gotta we gotta wrap this up. So, but but we can't we can't end without talking about Disney Star Wars. So that's oh, what we'll do yeah. now. But the rule of cool was was the Phantom Menace the greatest movie ever made? No. Was Darth Maul cool as fuck? Yes. Darth Maul's cool as fuck. All right. I'm down um, with Christopher Lee too, man. He made a great yeah. villain. Yeah, he did. Well, he's just an amazing person and actor anyway. But, uh, you know, and, and you know, were the prequels as a whole, you know, like on par with The Godfather? No, they weren't. But you you look at the choreography and the lightsaber duels from the prequels compared to whatever the fucking shit we have now is, and it's... It's a totally different, I mean, it's not even the same stratosphere of skill yeah. and technicality and all that. So anyway, 2012 rolls along, George Lucas gets $4.05 billion, and Disney gets Star Wars and Lucasfilm. And I, I vividly remember that day standing in a living room it's looking at the news, and I, and I even remember thinking then, on the one hand, because everybody around me thought it was great. Because everybody around me thought, well, Disney's a huge company. 
they make a bunch of hit movies, and maybe this was kind of on the dawn of Uber over the top woke, and we weren't quite there yet. But a lot of people believe that this was a good thing because really they just wanted more of a good thing. Well, I like Star Wars, and I want more Star Wars. Therefore, this must be a good thing. And I, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn and and make me sound like a genius or anything. But I remember all the way back then thinking. Even if even if Disney genuinely wants to do a good job, and even if they did genuinely bring in good people, I, it, no matter what beef you might have with George Lucas, he is Star Wars. And if he, and I remember, I mean, it was basically the same week of the announcement of the sale. Disney had already come out and said, "Hey, expanded universe, trash, gun, we don't need that." Thanks, George. See you at the ranch. As soon as I read that, I thought this is dead. I thought it was dead before the first mm -hmm. movie came out. Man. And, you know, I remember reading that Lawrence Kasdan was writing it with J.J. Abrams. I didn't know nothing about J.J. Abrams. And, hell, I don't know nothing about Lawrence Kasdan other than he wrote, uh, helped write the screenplay for Empire. Yeah. And I guess he had helped in some way with, with Jedi as well. And I just thought, like, here's a guy who's loyal to Star Wars, man. Here's a guy who helped with Empire, who's loyal to Lucas and that whole vision. And I remember reading an article about how he and J.J. Abrams were in, I don't know, Paris or in somewhere in Italy or something. And how they would just, they spent months like sitting at this cafe, hashing out their ideas, taking long walks and talking and just totally immersed in Star Wars, reading all Star Wars things and talking about all Star Wars things and taking notes and all this stuff. And I remember being like, man, I got to have some kind of faith in this guy, Kasdan, right? He's Lawrence Kasdan. He's not going to steer us wrong. And like, and they know they know how everybody feels, and I'm sure you've seen these. If the audience never has. They kind of break your heart if you don't want to have your heart broken. Maybe don't watch them, but they're really funny and good. It's the Red Letter Media reviews of the prequels. Yes, yeah. Where the guy just trashes the hell out of them. That was where I finally cried uncle and admitted I didn't like them. Fine, you're right. They suck. I don't know. Um, but uh, so the idea was that they know that the prequels got to be redeemed. In fact, the first line of episode seven is this will help to put things right, which is like a deliberate dig at Lucas, right? Like you're in fact, how do you like that? The first line of the movie is breaking the fourth wall to yeah. insult the guy who made up all this stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, it was pretty goddamn weird take. And then as we discussed before, what was the choice that they made was not to continue the story of Star Wars. Yeah. To redo four as though you're going to improve on four. And then, but like, but there's a black stormtrooper. So it's like the quota. Yeah. And, and which I'm perfectly cool with a black stormtrooper, but he's not there just because like somebody thought, hey, let's have a black stormtrooper. It's because like somebody ordered them to have a black stormtrooper or something, right? Like there's some some woke quota that they had to fulfill. The same reason there's a Korean girl in episode eight. It's like, why is there a Korean girl in here? Because of the quota, of course, right? Like, you know, it has nothing to do with the story at all. She didn't even need to be in the stupid story. They introduced her character. They got conscription, apparently. You're not allowed to quit the Rebel Alliance? If you want to quit the Rebel Alliance, she'll shoot you with a stun gun and lock you in jail. Okay, I guess. The whole thing is, but anyway, on episode seven, 
Now you replace Luke with this pretty girl, but then, and the directing is terrible, right? Like it's not her fault. She's some stupid girl doing her best to be an actress, but they're in such a hurry here. And they just got a girl from a very nice neighborhood and immediately she's supposed to not just be a farm boy, but a completely homeless, uh, abandoned, destitute person who's like, we're introduced her. She's a, she's sitting across from the tiredest old lady in the galaxy as they're attempting to polish these metal parts and sell them for a nickel, right? And yet she quite obviously is a rich girl who went to a very nice mall yesterday and is just not hard in any way. Like you take the girl that played what's her name in rogue one yes yeah if you put her there i could believe that like i don't know exactly what her upbringing is but she ain't that damn spoiled but this girl daisy ridley no offense to her you could have introduced her in a thousand ways but you introduce her as a homeless person in who lives in the desert by herself and then like whatever directing was going on there about act more like this or act more like that was just non-existent. It was terrible. And from the, and then from the beginning, she's completely unlikable. We're like, you know, Luke Skywalker is a little off putting when you meet him, but you're supposed to understand him to be kind of an annoying kid. And it's been, that's okay. Cause he's going to grow up and this and that. Right. But you're introduced to her and she's not charming at all. She's horrible. And she's like, you know, the, the stormtrooper. um, and saves her and she disdains him and he offers her his hand and she goes, nah, I don't need your hand. I'm a woman. Don't open the door for me. <laughs> like they're getting shot at. They're running from a TIE fighter, strafing them from the air. And she's going, I don't need a man to help me up. What am I even watching? What is this crap? Who yeah. wrote this? And what? And this is so you're gonna re look. You could have done the movie and put a bunch of crap in it, but you're take you're completely taking us out of Star Wars because you're rebooting the story. Yeah. Like who could have possibly thought that Episode Seven of Star Wars, instead of instead of being Episode Seven, would just be a reboot of Four? Yeah. And only now, instead of meeting charming Han Solo at the bar and getting a ride, now Luke is a girl and he get, he somehow gets the Falcon and flies it all by himself. They go and meet this monster in this whole thing that is meaningless. And then, of course, the plot makes no sense at all, Alan, because when they meet Han Solo, instead of taking them to Princess Leia, he takes them to this bar on this planet. Why? Because you have to have a bar scene, I guess. And then what does he do? Instead of leaving the wanted droid, which they already know from the experience on the monster ship, that there's an all points bulletin out for a little orange droid. And now they know there's an all points bulletin out for Han Solo too. And then instead of leaving the droid on the ship with Chewbacca, he brings the droid right in the front door of this lady's bar. And then the first thing she does, he doesn't sneak in the back. She yells at him, Han Solo, at the top of her lungs so that the whole bar looks up. And because he's going to go there in order to what? I don't know. Find a ride for the girl and the droid to go all the way to who? 
his old lady or his ex old lady who he's like, what, separated but not divorced from? Why yeah. are we here? Why do we stop at this planet? Why are we at this bar? Only because the script says so. It yeah. makes no sense whatsoever. Oh, because they had no idea how to get the lightsaber in the girl's hand either. So they had to come up with some kind of gimmick. Well, I don't know. How about this alien lady has the lightsaber? We don't know how. We don't know why. But she has the lightsaber. So we send the girl to the bar to get the lightsaber. Meanwhile, if you're thinking about this from Han Solo's perspective or from the lady from the, who owns the bar's perspective, why is he walking in the front door with the wanted droid when he's the most famous man in the galaxy? And he know he must know that the fascist Nazi dictatorship guys are going to be right on his heels and blow up the whole place and kill everybody, which is exactly what happens. Why would he bring heat like that on the nice lady that owns the bar? No explanation at all. Not even sorry. Makes no sense at all. The whole story doesn't make any sense at all. Well, the, than, well the script says we got to go somewhere so that she can get the sword, dude. Yeah. Well, you know, quotas and because the plot demands it can pretty much be used to describe everything that Disney has done. But I, I, I want to... I want to break it down into like a few key things that ultimately are the things that I think many years from now people will look back. Hopefully all this shit gets retconned and thrown in the dumpster. But people are going to look back and there's going to be a few things to stand out. The first one is we already we, we talked about Luke first because he's he was in the original trilogy. He had a genuine hero story. Was he a little annoying at first? Of course he was, but he was a kid. He literally was a kid. He was right on the verge of, of manhood and then kind of a, you know, you suddenly get more than you bargained for. You wanted to go on an adventure. Well, this is what an adventure is like. You get your hand chopped off and and you have emotional and physical scars and because that's what war is. Um, but but then the hero's journey comes full circle and he he conquers his demons and he and he fulfills his destiny and all that. But but no one in their right mind would ever consider Luke Skywalker a Mary Sue. You don't have a robotic hand to be a Mary Sue. That's just how yeah. it is. But then yeah. you have Daisy Ridley as Ray. Ray is the biggest Mary Sue. And explain Sue. Mary Sue for people who don't know what that means. Yeah, what is so, that? Yeah, so Mary, Mary Sue for people that are uh, – yeah, thank you for saying that. So a Mary Sue character is one who really – in which Ray is synonymous with this perfectly – is they're perfect at everything. They're great at everything they've ever attempted. Um, they always make the right decision. They're always the one, you know, the strong, independent, in this case, female character who overrules everyone, who leads everybody, and who is the catalyst for everything good. They don't make mistakes. There's no moral gray area whatsoever. But most importantly, they were born that way. They just are the best because yeah. they are the best. In other words, Princess Leia also flies the X-Wing and blows up the Death Star. She doesn't need to let the boys do that for her kind of deal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if in the original movie, Leia was the one, because Ben is, she wants Ben to, to to come rescue her because they have that prior relationship. But if it right. turns out Ben's looking for Leia so he can give her the lightsaber and say, well, we found you, great, and now the real story can begin, that would be a Mary Sue. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, except for in that case, the Mary Sue would have never been caught by Vader. I mean, you can't right. get captured. You, he, she would have just overpowered Vader right there. On, on well, the, part of it, looking back to Luke too, because this is so important of what they did to Luke Skywalker, and you know, and this was deliberately for woke reasons that 
they just said like this, and I don't want to sound like, oh, I'm so right-wing reactionary about it. This is just the history of what happened. I read about this stuff. I think this is even this part of it was in the New York Times. That they really meant it. They, when they said the force is female, what they were saying was the force, the, the Star Wars story no longer belongs to white men. And so if Luke Skywalker and Han Solo are the heroes of Star Wars, well, they're not anymore. And so now Luke is a bum. He can't be the hero. He's not going to come at the end of the movie and save her. He's going to be a bum on an island. And you're not even going to know why. And Han Solo, instead of being the uh, like kind of not quite fitting in but trying his best first husband of the chairwoman of the galaxy, is also now a bum and a loser and a smuggler again. And both of their arcs are canceled. Neither of them made good. Han Solo didn't go from smuggler to hero and savior of the galaxy. And Luke Skywalker didn't go to from farm boy to hero and savior of the galaxy. They're both just a couple of schmucks because, you know, here a, a little bit of time has passed and never, Alan, never, ever, ever meet your heroes because they're always scum. That's the story. And, and, and that's just completely stupid and it ruined it. It just completely ruined the movie and, and the, the, all three of them, of course, like how could it not be? that Han and Luke are heroes and that Leia is a hero and that the three of them are close and friends and that they're doing fine. Of course, they've got to pass the baton off to the new generation and everything, but you got to just completely beat the hell out of all of these characters. And then also the politics of the thing makes no sense at all. Like this Abrams and Kasdan, I mean, they just completely blew this story. And I, I get it that some of this was cut but it still wasn't going to make sense anyway. Were they were going to have to try to explain somehow? Where after Jedi, the Republic conquered the entire galaxy, liberated the entire galaxy, destroyed and drove out the Empire, and then completely disarmed and renounced what it means to be a state, which means to control a monopoly on force and have a giant fleet of not Star Destroyers to threaten you with, but very, very nice aircraft carriers here to protect you right under the, the new republic. Instead of that, they completely abolish themselves and they're not even on Coruscant anymore. Now they have like a rotating planet and nobody knows why, nobody cares. It doesn't make any sense that the, they move the planet capital around. I don't know, nobody cares. And then what is the only armed force of the good guys? Well, I guess J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan one day in Paris sitting at the cafe decided, well, geez, you know, we don't really want to deal with the problems of Leia trying to run a republic. We don't want to have the heroes deal with the problems of trying to be a government while not being an evil empire and the challenges that they might have to face. Of course, a perennial story in Star Wars is too much freedom means too much organized crime under the huts and whoever, Black Sun and whoever. So you always need just enough government to at least keep the very worst of the black marketeers out and this kind of theory, you know, this kind of, something like that. Show that, you could have had, that was what Lucas had planned, was that they were gonna be facing the criminal organizations and it would be, you know, something like that um, as the leaders of the New Republic. And so they took the New Republic away from Leia, they took heroism away from Han and Luke, 
And then they made Leia, what? They made her Eric Prince, right? Where she's now the head of her own little Blackwater, with her own private militia. That's just her and Admiral Akbar and a couple of old uh, washed up guys from the old days, just a few of them. And they have nothing like a Republic fleet. And they're, and then meanwhile, guess what? The empire's back and they built this massive first order uh, uh, with all the firepower to take over the whole galaxy with while the Republic sat there and did nothing. And why is any of this happening? It's only happening because J.J. Abrams thought that wouldn't it be neat if somehow the good guys were the rebels again and they're the rebels against the evil empire and the evil empire is way more powerful than them. And they are the rebels. And in fact, we'll even put them in a little base with vines on the walls and stuff, just like it's Yavin 4 again. And we'll just reboot 4. Yeah. We'll just yeah. reboot 4. And just we'll just uh, somehow the leaders of the New Republic who won the last time you saw them are now right back where they were when you met them. And you don't know why. And it makes no sense at all. And the whole thing, and then she, see, I blocked it out because of trauma-based mind control type thing. <laughs> that then at the end was another Death Star, another goddamn Death Star, Alan. Only this time, it's not a giant metal space station that was built, you know, with construction materials. Now they hollowed out an entire planet and put a giant ray gun in there that sucks a sun like, think about how big the sun is compared to, say, Earth. It sucks the sun into the middle of the planet and then shoots it out the other side. And it doesn't shoot the planet that it's somehow in the same system as through traveling through hyperspace, like a giant spaceship, like a Death Star. No, in fact, it shoots its magic laser beam all the way across the galaxy. And somehow yeah. you can see it in real time from anywhere, including the bar <laughs> that it made no sense that they went to. Right. Yeah. Like at this point, there should have just been a riot. All of this is just completely stupid. You know, also another thing, I forget if this is in episode seven or not till eight, but I know they do this in Rogue One as well. Like all of a sudden hyperspace takes like 45 seconds to get anywhere and you can launch from like the surface. You can jump straight to hyperspace from a thousand feet. When a huge part of the story of Star Wars always is we got to get far enough away from the planet before we can jump to hyperspace, which is like this horrible period of tension when the Star Destroyer might get you before you can get away. Yeah. And then they just completely ruin that and retcon that right out of there. Now everybody's hyperspace is all around and now every planet in the galaxy is all in the same system somehow or some kind of crap. And now, and the Death Star now goes from being, wow, what a big space station to this is the stupidest goddamn thing I ever heard with this, whatever they called it, the Death Star in episode seven, the planet sized, whatever thing that, you know, there were some sorts of weapons. There was the sun something or other, sun crusher, some kind of thing. Oh, see, that shot like a proton torpedo into a sun and caused it to explode. I don't think they ever in the expanded universe and all those stupid books and comics, I don't think anybody ever had a 
planet-sized weapon that sucks a sun into the middle of it and shoots it out the other side. That's a comic book from some other universe. That's the kind of thing that would never happen in George Lucas's Star Wars because it's too fanciful. The stuff is supposed to make sense. That's why the the sounds of the laser guns are not just some weird keyboard synthesizer going pew, pew, pew. They went out and recorded a guy banging on a cable with a hammer to make it so that it would have these sounds that sound organic, that sound real. You're supposed to believe in this stuff. Even when you're listening to the sound of a roaring jet engine in space, you're supposed to believe it. You're not supposed to think, oh God, this is so stupid. And that was what they did with episode seven and, and eight and nine, too, is they just made, they're so goddamn dumb that yeah. it, it's it's like they're made for a, a, a um, from a different series of stories. They're just not really part of Star Wars. It's just J.J. Abrams thinks some stupid crap that doesn't amount to much to me. Well, it, for me, it, you know, if I had to sum it up in 10 seconds, the way I would say it is, is that the original movies are a labor of love by people that really cared a lot about the story they were telling yeah. and how they told it. The The Disney movies are made by people who hate it, who think it's only something that needs to be fixed. Right. And yep. that's it. Yeah. And then look what they did to it. They fixed jack shit. It was terrible. It's terrible. And I remember when they first said, oh, we're bringing back Palpatine for the last one and thinking, oh, well, surely it's just going to be some little cameo of a thing they're going to use his voice for something there's it'll be like an old recording no no this is going to be they're bringing back palpatine he's the bad mm -hmm. guy and so the whole thing of luke and vader and their whole story and their sacrifice is over and canceled and by the way he's been secretly building a fleet of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of star destroyers this entire time and never using any of them and he's been conscripting this gigantic army of people that no one knows where any of them came from or how any of this happened oh and by the way now a single star destroyer can blow up an entire planet even though before it took a Death Star that was a thousand times the size of a Star Destroyer or more. And Han Solo had said, come on, an entire planet, take a thousand ships with more firepower than come on. Right. Nope. Now a single Star Destroyer can blow up a planet. And now, like every again, every rule, just like in, in episode seven, where you can see the Death Star fire from the bar planet. Huh? Um, like every rule is broken. Everything that they try to, oh, oh, uh, oh, you know what? That Snoke, that stupid character, Snoke, the bad guy, we didn't even think of him. He didn't even come up. The, this ridiculous, weird stand in for not quite a Sith Lord, whatever the hell this guy is, Snoke from episode seven. And then, uh, who dies in eight. Uh, not only does he not, not matter. And not only do you not care that he died or ever lived or, not, not only do you not understand who he ever was and how he ever came to be or why Han Solo's son of all people would have ran off with him or any of this crap that they never explain at all. Now they go, oh, you know what? That was actually the emperor all along. He had just like made this weird creature clone of some guy that you've never heard of before. And then, but that was actually really the emperor. I don't know. And I'm going, you know what? Why not? What the hell difference yeah. does it make? It doesn't make any difference. The whole thing is so stupid. And 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 look, why is it that this scum, this absolute horrible, the like this the the worst thing that the worst man who ever touched Star Wars, this guy Ryan Johnson, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why was he even in the position to write and tell the story of episode eight? And the answer to that is because of the cowardice of J.J. Abrams, who refused the offer to sign on for all three movies. And in even when he and, and he said, why? Because of fear, because he's a coward. He said, if it's good, then I should quit while it's still good. And then I'm afraid if it's bad uh, or if it's good and then I do another one and the second one isn't as good, then that would be bad and make me look bad. And then if it's bad also, which it might just come out bad, then I just want to slink out the back door then. So it was all based on his cowardice. Instead of going, hell yeah, man, I got Star Wars in my hands. Here's what I'm going to do. And then I saw this thing where the guy Johnson said when he got there, he couldn't believe it. No one had written an outline of the three movie story. J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan had only written act one and all it was was the reboot of four, only worse and horrible and stupid and wrong. Yeah. And then, so Ryan Johnson did not have, okay, well, I know that the plan is that in episode eight, at least this, this, and this happen. That way in episode nine, this is the way it's going to resolve is this, this, and this. That makes sense. Okay. So those are my boundaries. Now I'll write my movie within that. He didn't have that. He didn't have anything. JJ Abrams had left him nothing. So what have I got? I got a complete idiot, horrible loser director being run by Eric Cartman, the uh, executive producer. late (laughs) Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah. And I got Luke Skywalker is a loser and a bum on an island all alone. Han Solo's a bum with Chewbacca out failing at smuggling. I got a republic that has no army and I guess what already got blown up at the end of uh, what what republic there was was mostly killed at the end of seven, right? And so, uh, oh, so he... He and he's just a terrible person. He's got no guidance other than people even worse than him. And so he just writes this complete horrible movie. Why is Luke Skywalker on the island? Because he's a piece of shit. Yeah. Well, that's you know, the, that's the ahead. thing is that I was just saying just because because we're 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 Scott, we're so far out of time at this point that I now have to start thinking about how I'm going to shove this into the show that goes live 40 minutes from now. <laughs> but It'll but uh, and just cut me off in 10 minutes and then run the whole thing. All right. So so the thing is, is that when you think about, you know, the thing is, is that they weren't trying to tell a story. They had a message to get across. It wasn't about the story. It was about the message. And so when you think about Mary Sue Ray, when you think about emasculating Luke Skywalker, emasculating Han Solo, um, killing all legacy characters and making sure that you're promoting the not just promoting the new characters because they're new, but promoting the new characters because they fit the worldview you're trying to extrapolate. When when you look at it from that lens, that they're not trying to tell a story, they're trying to sit, they're trying to to promote a message. Then you realize that the, the whole plot, the whole plot was secondary to that. And 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 look, I mean, I'm certainly not defending them. By the way, they're the yeah. biggest piece of shits in the world for ruining Star Wars. I'm just saying that if Disney came to me and said, Alan. We need you to promote these characters for these reasons, and then 
write Star Wars yeah. movies. I would say you've got this backwards. Like <laughs> you've got this, you've got this way backwards. There's, it's Here's, destined to fail. Well, look, it was, as I say, it was always political. It always had a message, but the message was anti-imperialism. The message was that, you know, again, there's no time to discuss this in a committee means that when there's an emergency, beware of losing your freedom, right? But who's J.J. Abrams? He's no libertarian, right? And not that George Lucas is, but there's, you know, a real core kind of um, at least American founders kind of flavor of libertarianism in George Lucas's thinking there. But J.J. Abrams is just Hillary Clinton. He doesn't understand any of this. He doesn't have he doesn't understand the irony of LBJ's war being the very worst thing and all of that from the point of view of a Democrat. You know what I mean? Like Lucas is, is um, what courageous enough to not just be such a, a blind, stupid partisan. I think he became more of a Democrat as he grew up. But you look at J.J. Abrams and I guess for that matter, Kasdan too. These guys got no special insight into politics at all other than they're just liberal Democrats. That's all they understand. Yeah. So I, you know, Abrams said, yeah, like what if the Nazis came back? What if like the Nazis who moved to Argentina after World War II, what if they like built up a whole thing and they came back and then America had to fight them again? Right? Yeah. He yeah. doesn't understand that America is the empire, not Germany. This is about America. And and it's that was what the warning is about. So they didn't even understand the damn story themselves in the first place. And then, as you say, they go to push the message. But then the message is a muddled bunch of crap. It's just be woke and whatever. I don't know. It's it's supposed to. Well, be. Yeah. Like, like I said, it's no surprise when you when you when you think of it as. It, the franchise that was beloved not just by fans, but it was beloved by the people who poured their blood, sweat, and tears into making it. It was handed off to people who hated it. They didn't just right. not know it. They they yeah. actively hated it and wanted to change it from the word go. And right. that and at that point, it doesn't matter who they would have gotten as writers and directors right. and cast and crew. It Told was you. it was dead from the start. And there was a thing, you know. I read a little bit about this. I actually know a guy who read a lot about it, <laughs> um, but. Um, it was, you know, they created a committee like you couldn't make this stuff up. They created this committee of women from like all Brown University and things like that, like all uh, women of color from the most left wing universities. And that they became the committee of five or seven women, whatever it was. And then that was this that was their slogan. The force is female. And that was the whole thing is we're going to completely take it away. This is like this new like gang of four or whatever. We're going to take Star Wars away from the whites and we're going to make it this other thing instead. And and for women and for minorities especially, which again, like I'm all for like including everyone. Uh, uh, that was something always great about Star Wars like we talked about before. Like I'm a melting pot guy. I don't believe in all this woke crap, but I'm not like some kind of white exclusivist by any measure. Um, but to have it like that was their point. As you say, it wasn't like here are four women or five women who really love Star Wars, who grew up on Star Wars and they were going to get a crack at telling these wonderful stories. It was uh, explicitly about how we're going to take this story away from the people who love it now. And it's funny, too, because if you look at like if you go to the toy store or whatever, 
you can see that they put out, it's still um, Luke and Leia and Lando and Han and all the original characters. They hardly push the prequel stuff and they hardly push the sequel stuff because there's just no demand for it. The people don't want it. Like if you go to the Disney thing in Florida, it's all sequel era stuff. Sure. And, yeah. you know, they got the Millennium Falcon because it lasted but it's got the new radar dish on it and it and then all the characters are, you know, well, who's missing? It's all oh, all the characters there are all first order stormtroopers and all this stuff. And there's no Luke and Han and Leia. There's no Chewie. There's no R2 and 3PO. There's no and it's like they're trying to force you to accept that this is the new Star Wars and that you have to like it. And it's cool to see the Millennium Falcon like full size badass right there. It's great. And but they don't let you go on it. Actually, you just look at it, but it is pretty cool. But, and they do let you fly it and it's cool, but it's not a original trilogy or even prequel era type of mission. It's this sequel era stuff that is just not as interesting or fun at all. Like, um, you know, even the, uh, well, whatever. Anyway, they blew it. They did. And, and they wanted to, as you said, it was, it was deliberate that they're trying to sabotage the thing. And now, if, I don't know if you want to talk about, like, all the newer TV shows that they've done. I mean, there are clearly people who are trying to do their best with what they've got. And I'm dedicated enough to the damn story that I'm going to end up watching all those. Like, I like the Bad Batch and some of that stuff. You know, you can see Filoni's trying to do a good job with, you know, some of the things. Yeah. But um, I, you know, I, liked, I liked the beginning of the Mandalorian show. Like, like the first season and some change was pretty good. Um, but pretty crazy. Uh, Scott, at this point, uh, I think I'm going to cut us off, but I will say, I, I think in the new year, you and I could do a whole video series where we take some of the stuff we talked about today and do it like just, just a video on this show, this movie, this concept, and it would probably get more likes and views than any of my political horse shit because you know yeah. what? I'm afraid it would get more likes and views than anything I've ever done in my life. And I, I don't want to face up to that, man. Yeah, I, I know. That's that's the reason why you, you hesitate to do it, because you're like, what is that going to say to me when, when the Star Wars horrible. video gets Can you imagine? Views? But I, I, I kind of would be up for it if you would be, because there's a whole lot of nerd shit that I didn't bring up today, because I just thought, oh, well, I'm going to keep this to like 30 minutes. <laughs> but, but that being you here, there, Scott... I know it's I know it's fundraising time at the institute. Where can people go to support you and support the Libertarian Institute? Yeah, boy, especially anybody who lasted this long listening to this thing, you must really like me and what I say about stuff. So, <laughs> or Star Wars. So, help support a Star Wars leaning uh, Libertarian Institute at libertarianinstitute.org/donate. And you know what? Like, honestly, man, I could spend another two and a half hours sitting up here talking about how much I love the team of guys that I got working for me at. The Institute. I'm the director, but um, I've got Sheldon Richmond and Jim Bovard, Lori Calhoun, and the Ted's Snyder and Carpenter. And those are like uh, Lori's my age. The other guys are a little bit older. Um, that's kind of the older generation of guys. And then I got this whole cast of characters that are all 27. I got Connor and I got Will and I got Keith. And I got uh, Patrick. He's 31 for some reason. Hunter also is 27. I used to be 27, man. But anyway, that was 20 years ago. 
But these guys are just killer. They all got podcasts. Did I say Tommy Salmons? He's 40-something like me, but he's also uh, heroic and awesome and has a wonderful podcast with us. And we got all these great podcasters and all these great writers and more writers than that, Kim Robinson and all these other great writers that write for us uh, pretty regularly as well and great podcasts and all these things. And we publish books. I'm so proud to tell you, Alan, that we are on the very cusp right now of publishing a book by Tom Woods and another by Jim Bovard. Whoa. And they're on COVID and on Jim's is just about the overall uh, loss of rights in America in our era is sort of the enough already of the U.S. domestic scene. It's just fantastic. Both of them are just fantastic. And then Keith Knight, the great Keith Knight, has another book that he already did one earlier this year. And he's got another coming um, right on their heels as well, too. So uh, all that's going on at the Libertarian Institute. I'm really excited about it. And you can help support it at libertarianinstitute.org slash donate. Well, all right, Scott. On that note, I got one last question for you. Then we're going to take a commercial break and get out of here. Um, you know we always like to end with a, with a just unbeatable food quiz question. So this is yours. Now, you are our Thanksgiving episode guest. Actually, Tom, I'll, I'll, I'll spoil it for everyone. Tom Woods is going to be our guest for the Christmas episode, and Scott Horton is the guest for the Thanksgiving episode. So everybody knows who the real number one libertarian podcast is. I've got all the biggest guests for the holidays. So is fruitcake a cake or a bread? Oh, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to say it's a uh bread full of uh things because of the shape that's what makes the difference and there's no icing oh no you hate to hear that scott unfortunately <laughs> fruitcake is a cake by the way it says cake it has in the, the name cake in but it? hold on a fruitcake <laughs> is something that is referred to in culinary terms as a quick bread it's called a quick bread because of the way that that the that the material is leavened via sugar. But a quick bread is, by definition, a cake. Well, you so, know, I don't know about things like that. All right, well, Scott, thank you so so much for doing this. I'm telling you what, you, you uh, if I don't see you again over the holidays, be thinking about be thinking about doing a Star Wars series with me because I, I I don't know I don't care about the fucking audience. I had a hell of a time. Well, I had a great time with you too, but I got to tell you, I got a lot of jobs, man. Maybe let me do another book or two and then I'll get back to you. All right. Well, yeah, you, you finish you finish the, uh, you fin what, what are you doing? The, the Cold War book, right? Isn't that the, or the Ukraine book or? Yeah, it's the same one. And the same thing here is um, uh, provoked. Yeah. How Washington started the new Cold War with Russia and the catastrophe in Ukraine. Although I'm still fighting myself over and I, we'll see with the page numbers what happens, but I'm. Um, the the actual war in Ukraine may end up being a separate book, although I really don't want it to be. I just don't know how well. I, it's already 1,100 pages long in the whole Ooh. thing. So I'm going to have to cut it way, 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 way down. And it's probably doubtful if I'll be able to keep the war on the end. I may have to cut that off. And then, uh, so that's two books right there. And then I actually, unfortunately, already am kind of talking myself into some other things as well, you might guess. Um, so... Um, I don't know. Maybe get back to me this time next year, Alan. <laughs> All right, man. That, you know? Scott, thank you so much, guys. We're going to be back to wrap up the show right after this commercial break. Oh, 
If you're enjoying tonight's show, consider supporting the program by becoming a member of our Patreon. That's over at patreon.com slash Mosley. Like our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash TV. You can follow me on Twitter. Twitter.com at TV. Subscribe to our YouTube page. It's youtube.com slash TV. But if you're more of a listener than a watcher, get us on your favorite podcasting platform of choice thanks to Spotify. It's Too Late with Alan Mosley or Alan Mosley TV. This is the longest episode of It's Too Late. It is. By, by a lot. A lot. Yeah. So Someone asked earlier, Mary, Mary asked earlier, is this your longest guest interview? Yes. By like two and a half times. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Yeah. Because it is. Oh, it's a st- Star Wars is a Thanksgiving movie. In a, it, like, oh, what? Look at the time, Dave. It's gonna be Thanksgiving for you in 15 <gasps> seconds. It is. I Me and it. Dave are gonna spend Thanksgiving together. Not that Mary. Wait for it. <laughs> Wait for it. You hear I'm watching my, my computer clock. All right, there it is. Okay. All right. There. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Dave. D- Dave, did you have a final thought? You know, that was a lot of Star Wars. That had me. It gave me a lot of time to think, drink, and um, like I don't know if it's just me, but you, you guys like work in like a, uh, like a lot of people around, and you go to the bathroom and there's a bunch of stalls, and you walk in and there's like somebody at the sink, and you, you pick your random stall and you go in there, and you can you can feel that the seat's still warm. And at that moment, you, you think to yourself, they know that they were just in that stall, and I know that they were just in the stall, and my, my butt is now, my naked butt is on the seat that they're, they were just sitting on. And I wonder if there's a word for that. Yeah, actually there is. You're, you're gay. Am I overthinking it? That's what that means. That means you're gay. Oh. So it, it's the warm seat. Guys, thank you so much for watching another episode of It's Too Late, and we will see you next week. Feel feel free to hit the button, Dave. Yeah. I I, I have two buttons, so I had to hit the holiday button and it scared me first. Uh, I've been thinking about that for a long time. I think it probably goes without saying that you guys have already had your after party. It's called the last yeah. two hours. <laughs> I was nervous that you weren't going to make it to the show. It was, it was like, I don't know if there's a time to like, if there's, if you could time skip so you could play yeah. the interview while you're still doing it. Yeah. Love you too, Mary, Carl, Celeste, Derek, Matt, Lacey, Josh. Look at all the people that hung out for.